Um, speaking of the way that things are, in case you don't remember where we left off last time, I'm going to need all of you to roll initiative. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. Here it goes. Here Bad it is. guys are coming through. They're coming through to you. Oh. I'm feeling a little tuckered out after all that stuff, guys. Uh, I am as well. Although this is a, a promising nine. sign that we are on the right track. I had a four. You two were in the bottom of initiative last time. Seems to be a pattern forming. It's a patient defense. I'm meditating. <laughs> I'm taking it a, all in so I can react properly. I got a nine. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Uh, well, luckily for you all, Riley rolled a 16. Um, so you are you standing go. on this outcropping of rock. Behind you, the rushing sounds of the waterfall pouring uh, is the only real indicator that you've had some verticality change, right? At the end of the last session, you basically fell down a geyser with style um, and defeated a some kind of shadow creation that we believe was uh, from from the plane of limbo and had been brought here in some way. Uh, you killed that creature with the assistance of a Tinkali, uh, and just as you're kind of recovering from that fight, you've fallen 500 feet. <clears throat> 500 feet. You're standing on the ruins of this arcane sigil that's been disrupted. You look down the tunnel to the side of you, and you see the shadowy forms shuffling towards you of the adventurers who were killed before you got here, who have been risen by this arcane circle as necromantic puppets, and who are now shuffling, sloughing their way towards you. Uh, weird kind of groan noises uh, echoing through the darkness of the cave as they come even with you. It's less a coordinated attack and more a swarm just kind of pushing through your direction trying to muscle the group of you towards the edge. I would like each of you to narratively describe for me the way that you are in combat, either operating as a group or operating solo, but build the scene out here. We've got about 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds we'll spend on this, building out the scene of how you're fighting. And as you do that, I'd like you to describe your character uh, for the chat or for those listening on Spotify. And at the end, I will bring uh, Riley into the equation as well. So Alan is going to get up from where he was kneeling at the arcane sigil, kind of studying it and, he and the rest of the group were kind of theorizing about where this creature could have come from. He gets up and he looks out at the the undead shuffling towards them and he steps forward and you know, he's got these big, thick glasses that he's wearing. He's got this long mane of blonde hair. He's a very muscular guy. He's got a big tool belt with suspenders on. Um, he's not wearing a shirt underneath those suspenders. He's wearing like fur briefs underneath his tool belt and he's got these fur boots that he's wearing um, and then on his belt he's got an assortment of things including a piece of the rod of seven parts and lots of different tools but also he has on his belt what would look like to us like a pistol that's been kind of made out of iron and, and kind of carved and, and like formed in a certain way where it looks like the, the, the muzzle of the pistol is like a dragon's head that is, oh, it's got its mouth opened up. He draws the pistol, and like the cracks in the the details in the iron on the pistol start to glow red. And he points it at the undead, ready to fire his Eldritch Cannon flamethrower when he has a chance, kind of as like a first line of defense. 
Hey, I'm Wash. <laughs> I play Radford the White. He's a white scaly dragonborn monk. And as uh, as Owlin's doing this, um, Radford is uh, <clears throat> he's wearing these really light flowy, like a light flowy open vest with like the sleeves ripped off. Um, baggy flowy pants, something that's easy to move in. Um, he has the, his, he wears these sandals that have these two wooden teeth off the bottom, these Japanese geta. And he's got this huge gourd and bedroll on, on his back. Um, and he is going to uh, get down in front of Owlin on the ground and he's just going to throw out this huge swath of ice breath and try to freeze the feet of the undead in place. So, um, Zop, after studying the, uh, the runes, um, he would have fluttered up onto Radford's shoulder to prepare, because that seems to be better for, like, the party is sticking together. Um, so he's gonna stand there, and he's, like, frightened, but he's trying to hide his, his frightenedness with, like, courage and, like, be brave, so he's, like, preparing to, uh, cast his spell. Um, and then he's in his nice button-down brown belt khakis, um, and he, like, always uses, uh, Press the digitation to like keep it pristine and clean. Very nice. So you're standing in this waterlogged cave at the bottom of a geyser with a tunnel extending off into the dark of who knows where, and somehow your clothes are like pressed and clean. Yes. I love that. Uh, and as the three of you stand there, Owlin with the uh, sort of red glow of his flamethrower illuminating his face, and Radford with the kind of blue shimmery reflection of the ice catching the sunlight as it bounces off the geyser behind you down the cavern and then off the ice, kind of reflecting his face uh, and maybe between the two of you on the ground. We have Zop standing there ready for action, ready to cast a spell. Uh, For the moment, you don't realize that Riley has not stepped forward to fight with you. Uh, Riley, the other Wheatling member of the party, a small, tiny, diminutive creature with kind of papery wings and uh, grassy or or wheat-like hair, uh, that kind of spirals out of, of her head, uh, has sat down cross-legged on the ground with her head bowed and her hands clasped around a holy symbol that she carries with her. And she seems to be thinking or maybe preparing herself internally. And so as the first wave of this undead swarm comes towards you, she is not involved in the initial fight. She's, you know, a few feet behind you. Um, as that first wave rushes towards you, uh, well, rushing as much as an undead can, shambles towards you, kind of building up speed by nature of being a mob, shoving each other out of the way. They block the full tunnel's width, and so they're just this hulking mass of darkness. And as they get close enough, that the, the very subtle light of Owlin's flame-based weapon can illuminate them, you recognize that these are other adventurers. You see gnomes and elves and dwarves that have fallen in battle, each with some kind of awesome like war wound, whether they've been maimed through the chest or they've got burn marks or scorch marks or whatever, asphyxiation around the neck. They're all shambling towards you, trying to fight, trying to push you back towards the arcane sigil, which is when they trigger all of your attacks. 
Uh, this is essentially a mob of mooks. So for the sake of coolness, I would like each of you to describe your first reaction and what it does to the swarm of mooks. And then we'll kind of come around to the next level of combat here. We can start so, with Alan, maybe. Yeah, Alan's Eldritch Cannon fires, and it does. It has a 15-foot cone of flame that just, like, incinerates anything in its path. He doesn't get to use this very often because Alan isn't... We're not usually in, in crowd control situations, but Alan is excited to use this, and it just... It cuts through. That cone just cuts through this, like, wide mass of uh, undead and just, just burns up anything in that 15-foot cone. And then being a mob, it's not just the initial front line that you hit. As they kind of char and fall to the ground, uh, becoming once more corpses, those behind them trip or fall. And, you know, it almost is like a dog pile effect. And so as Alan just continues spraying side to side, you know, the, the pile gets bigger until the bodies are climbing over the corpses in front of them to continue attacking you, which is when Radford gets involved in the fight. Uh, we haven't seen Radford do this, but I think it's about time for him to break this out. Um, it seems like we need to, he needs to keep himself with a little bit of distance. He doesn't want to get in there with his, with his fists. So you see him take his walking stick um, and he kind of holds it sideways out in front of him and pulls it and it breaks into three different pieces with little chains in between and turns into like this three stick and he's just like shoom, 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 swinging it up and around at a, at a distance and just cracking dudes in the heads bam, 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 like up and down with this, with this three stick connected with chains in the two, two centers that's dope and as, as Radford now is basically holding the line, we've got this half-cover barricade that the, the creatures are having to shamble over. Radford is right there in their face, getting them all knocked down and continuing basically to just add to this pile of the dead. Uh, that's when Zopf gets involved. Uh, Zopf, talk to us about how you're entering this fight. So Zopf, um, out of spell slots for the time being uh, can only cast his his main damage cantrip of Eldridge Blast but he gets two beams of it um, and this will be a cackling energy that streaks towards the creatures that are in the front so it'll be uh, one, two or two on the same one if the first one doesn't die from the first beam Awesome, and so with a there's this blast of energy, this force energy, and not only is Zop able to continue kind of knocking out the, the the undead who are coming towards you because it's force energy. Zop is able to blast a little tunnel aside for you in the pile of corpses. And so you, for just a moment, they're kind of shunted to the left and right. And there's a window straight down the middle that you could run through beyond the rest of the corpses. They've, you know, they've reached full sort of pile saturation. They're no longer extending down the tunnel. They're all in this crammed area. And it's in that moment when Riley steps forward to enter the fight. Riley having risen to uh, almost head height for the barbarian Owlin, even though she's tiny, she's kind of flutters up to that height and kind of smoothly moves forwards with her hands outstretched. And she yells back to the three of you, go, I will hold them off. This is my part. And you see the holy symbol in her hand begin glowing with radiant energy. And all of you recognize the symptoms of a turn undead beginning. Um, and she is going to try and hold the zombies in place and keep them fixated on her with that radiant, bright energy so that you can run past them unharmed. Are you going? 
Alan will will turn briefly and say, uh, "We we will be back as soon as we can to help you. We Sister, appreciate Lisa. your sacrifice." I'll catch up. I'll catch up. Just go without me. Sister. Always. And then she and- begins the act of turning the undead, and you see these kind of waves of radiant energy rippling out from her as you run past through the tunnel she's created between all these undead corpses, all these corrupted former adventurers. You rush past, and with that, we begin another adventure at the Wing Badger Tavern, and we'll be right back. Sunir, Gontos, Kotex, Awara. Long ago, the four ancients created a world in harmony. Then, everything changed when the chat emped magic. Only Kelnor, master of good vibes, could stop them. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. Two years have passed, and four adventurers have discovered a conspiracy, a company selling magic. And although their roleplay is great, they have a lot of XP to earn before they're ready to save anyone. But I believe they can save the world. It's like a dope avatar thing where my wife did the Katara voiceover and it's really accurate. She killed it and then you didn't mm, get to hear it. So I guess you have no choice but to like watch it on YouTube later um, mm. or, or check us out on <laughs> anywhere like you that. get podcasts as Wing Badger Tavern. Uh, <laughs> anyway, all that being said, uh, we're going to jump back into our adventure here. And so as you rush down the tunnel, leaving behind you the sounds of kind of shimmering radiant energy, the groaning of corpses as they are returned to their dead state, their kind of neutral passive state, the flickers of, of golden energy slowly fade off of the walls around you. Um, the walls here are crystalline and stone and chiseled, not by creatures, but rather by the, the corrosive power of the geyser behind you. At one point in time, this geyser was um, divinely amplified in in such a way where it was almost like it was rust that was coming out of the geyser and it cut like a knife through the rusty mountains the whole way to the city of Nowood. And so as you follow this tunnel, at some point you know that it's going to end out in the city of Nowood. You know that you're headed in the right direction, but for now, you're stuck in the dark and I'm going to need someone to make a survival check. Uh, you can make it normally because you have a map. So we'll cancel out the disadvantage of the darkness. Well, um, Alan can also, I mean, he'll cast light on um, something that's convenient for, he, oh, he had that sure. torch earlier. Yeah. He'll cast light again on that torch. Cool. Um, oh, yeah, here you can have this back. One day on Alan's going to have his big heroic sacrifice moment and we'll know because he'll actually light this torch instead of casting light on it. <laughs> well, it's reusable that way. <laughs> it's, it's very pragmatic. Efficient. Yeah. Thank you. That is That that was my goal with it. Um, Alan can roll survival. Okay. 18. 18. Uh, with an 18, Alan's able to find the right direction, but there's still like... You know, because of the corrosive nature of the water, the tunnel is always sloping downwards and it does every now and then kind of fork in like a Y shape whenever the the tunnel would hit something stronger than normal stone, maybe an iron deposit or something like that. The water would just kind of corrode around it and then you have little branches and things like that. And so as you're following those, you get the sense that it'll probably be another day or two before you make it the whole way Mm. to the city of Nowood. And so for the moment, you have a chance to, one, rest if you're going to take it, or otherwise roll me some con saves to deal with your fatigue. 
uh, as you rush towards No Wood and hopefully the trapped avatar of the god Zanir, uh, who this whole adventure is about. No, yeah, we, I think uh, we would want to rest and maybe see if we can find like sort of a, a, an outcropping in the rock that we can use as like a little off to the side space where we can rest. Absolutely. Uh, the first day passes, I think uneventfully. Let's roll attention pool. Yep, the first day passes uneventfully as you move through the darkness and you're, you're able to find yourself a nice place to kind of set up shop and watch. Um, if you want any kind of like dialogue between the characters or processing things you've learned, this would be a great time to do it um, before we continue pressing on on our adventure. Well, it, I hope uh, sister is okay. I, I hope that as well. Um, I think, you know, as we got cut off before, I think it bodes well for us that do bumblefoot would still be here if um somehow the necromancer was drawing power to cast spells um from that arcane sigil so we we are on the right path and i just want to reaffirm everyone in that yeah i'm a little worried about do that is like I having having her symbol was a little disturbing. It, that is, I agree, and I um, wish that I wasn't so easily deceived by it. I felt as though once I saw that 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 holy symbol, that that would have been someone trustworthy. But obviously, they took it from an actual acolyte of Do, and that makes me wonder what in what state we are going to find we are going to find the city of Nowood have uh, rescuing there. all of the avatars been like this? uh yes uh this is my first one uh in my experience yes um it has always been extremely dangerous we will likely have to kind of scout the outskirts of whatever compound the uh, aboliths have made here and um, see what our best plan of infiltration is and um, it will not be easy and we will likely face insurmountable odds and the last time that we did this um, we we lost a lot and we lost one of our own so I'm hoping that we are more prepared this time and that we know what we're dealing with. Um, but what happened? Like, can we? Was it avoidable, or is it something like we could take preventative measures for? Yeah, boss. Um, I don't think you've ever. Well, you remember you telling a little bit about it. It, it's a situation where Jeb and Jeb Jeb was the planner. I know that in this. In this scenario right now, I have been, I have kind of taken that role. Um, but before I kind of have felt like I needed to fill in, Jeb was the one who came up with the ideas and, and gave us direction as to where to go. And we all trusted him. And I, we, I mean, he never broke that trust. He, he was a risk taker, but he was calculated. And, in this scenario, he took on the brunt of 
the task of saving the avatar that we were after and in that case it was just too much we were too divided we were all different places when every when the aboliths attacked and when everything kind of collided in on itself and Jeb sacrificed himself for the mission to succeed but but that was it it was a sacrifice Fox even lost a leg in that process. Does that have a record keeper? Um, I I believe that we do. Um, I'm I'm not sure if we have someone in a record keeping official capacity, as a, as if someone whose job title is record keeper. I'm sure keeper. I'm sure. Yeah, writes down some of the things that we have done and that we, for accounting reasons, need to keep track of the things that we've done, but. Well, I can take on the role, at least for this adventure, as long as I'm with you guys. Um, it's kind of my job. Not really. Yes. Uh, it's important to remember history. I, I appreciate that. I think that would be... That would be a great addition to what we do, and... I agree. It's important to remember and to have record of the sacrifices that people make in this process because this is possibly the most important journey in the world and Jeb is the reason why we're here now continuing on continuing so, uh, on echoes back to you down the uh, the dismal cave almost taunting you and the fact that you stopped for the night um, <laughs> bringing back to mind all the time pressures of the fact that it's been you know, six months since you had good intelligence on mm. on the state of the world. Um, another maybe half a month that you've been traveling and who knows what you're going to find at the end of this. You know where the Avatar is imprisoned uh, in this in this city, but you have no idea what state she'll be in, if she'll be okay or not. Um, and, and as those uneasy thoughts are, are creeping in, you're beginning to replay the events of, you know, the last 24 hours and especially this fight with this kind of shade or, or shadow creature or whatever it is that was in the woods that kind of ambushed you and and you you in the moment you were able to identify like this is this is magic from the plane of limbo but you didn't stop to consider the you know the 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 greater implications of like what might it mean for something from the plane of limbo to be here like were they were they able to bring it through like, is there some kind of planar connection that still exists? Because the understanding that we have is that there is no planar connection. And more more to the point, how were they able to give it necromantic powers? Um, by what means was it able to, you know, corrupt these adventurers to raise them from the dead? Um, and and as you're thinking about that, you know, you don't necessarily come to a conclusion, at least not for free, not without some roles. But you get the idea that, you know, you get you get maybe a hint uh, that perhaps the chat might have spurred the GM on into giving you. Uh, you're, you're kind of thinking about it, and um, it occurs to you that the the arcane batteries that you saw at the last site where this energy was being harvested from um, an avatar, this is the kind of thing that you might be able to use them for, a ritual circle mm -hmm. that, um, you know, it's scrawled on the ground, it's left in a certain position, and there must be some way to trigger it 
um, to, to activate it. And so if it's not connected to the weave, it's got to connect to something. Um, and, and so you get the idea that something like that, some kind of storage facility or some means of transferring energy that's in, you know, kinetic energy that's been temporarily locked into something. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe there's, there's something like that involved in the necromantic energy that's happening. You are confident that there is still no greater access to the weave in the world. The, mm-hmm. you know, the, the instant discovery and ramifications of that would have been apparent right away. Um, so whatever is going on, you know that it's not that. Um, could I roll an arcana? Sure. What um, would you, what would you like to learn about? Um, like the, the plane of limbo and how it could be connected, how people could be like using magic and connecting to it. Okay. Um, I'm not going to make you roll cause we talked about what the plane of limbo is in the last session. Somebody else already discovered this information, but I'll give you a refresher. Um, the plane of limbo is one of one of the outer planes, right? There's all the different outer planes and each one has kind of its own energy. The plane of limbo is known for its chaos energy. So if you were to just visit the plane of limbo, you would be just surrounded by spontaneous uh, chaotic manifestations. In fact, uh, most adventurers who go there don't survive more than two or three minutes because they spontaneously burst into flame or turn into a bunch of doves or um, lightning strikes them or the ground beneath them suddenly rends and they're in water and they drown. Um, all these random things that happen. The only way to survive there is to take advantage of what uh, the god of order, Zanir, did at one point in just utter frustration in historical past. He threw this sort of um, th- this sort of concentric uh, ball of law into the plane of limbo, and his idea was that this thing should impose order on the plane of limbo. So it was utter chaos versus utter order, and the two things, rather than evening out in the center, uh, there are now just two pendulums. Um, where one of them is so orderly that all of the chaotic manifestations happen at once and it's instant death. Um, and one of them is so chaotic that only one of them can ever exist in the same point, And that's pretty much instant death. However, between those two, there is a middle ground that is available for travelers. And so a savvy adventurer can actually maintain a level of mental fortitude that will create a bubble of reality in the plane of limbo. And you can shape that bubble of reality as long as you have the focus for it. You can shape that reality however you want. Um, The idea of these creatures seems to have been similar. Something with an incredible amount of mental acuity and power was able to shape the chaos energy of Limbo into this kind of hulking shadow creature um, and then bring that creature here and then somehow maintain that concentration once the creature was here. Chaos energy wants to return to entropy. So there must have been something actively forcing that creature back into being. Um, And whatever that would be, it would have to be an incredibly powerful intellect with a hugely wide-ranging level of power that could span, I mean, maybe miles, who knows. Um, But whatever that creature is must have been able to keep this this shade or this shadow creature kind of formed um, as it directed it or, or as it went about its business. Okay. You share that? You share? I assume. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, if what you theorize is true, then I believe it to be more than likely that at least one Aboleth is here somewhere. I'm actually surprised now that we've been through the geyser and such that we haven't seen any of the uh, signature gray goo along these cave walls yet. 
Um, but I'm sure we will as we get closer. Uh, Josh, would Zop have any knowledge on the Atlas? No, not from not from the city of Oat. I would say Alan Alan can fill Zop yeah. in yeah. off screen, um, like everything that Alan knows. Sure. Cool. So are we continuing on our journey? After, um, yeah, I mean, if we if we need to go through the motions of like assigning a watch for the uh, long rest or whatever. Um, nah, you don't need that's to. That's fine. Okay. Um, so we, we, the first night passes mostly uneventfully. You're kind of tucked into a nook. You do keep probably a tense watch for the night, you know, rotating between the three of you. Um, Riley does not catch up or rejoin the group uh, in this first night. And the next morning you kind of are faced with the decision of going back or pushing forward um, and wanting to kind of honor the sacrifice and a little bit trusting in your other adventuring partner, partner, you push forwards. And so you again enter the tunnel network, diving deeper into the darkness. Do all of you have dark vision? No. So only Alan? Uh, yeah. Okay, so it's possible. So it makes sense that Alan is leading then. Uh, yeah, and Alan, Alan can hand the torch to someone who has dark, who doesn't have, like one cool. of the other two. Yeah, yeah, so Alan kind of steps forward to take the lead. The other two of you are basically in, you know, a, a 15, 15 foot radius circle of. Uh, light um, and beyond that there's just darkness the 15 foot circle radius uh, is big enough for you to see to the edge of the the tunnel on both sides this is a narrow tunnel for the most part you're either moving single file or maybe two abroad um, although for the tiny wheatling zopf that doesn't mean very much uh, as you push deeper into the tunnel um, you are again uh, kind of reinforced in your direction by the fact that it starts to widen as if it you're now reaching into a piece that maybe is is you know forcibly made by creatures um, you're starting to see the hallmarks of a, a race enforcing their will on what nature would do um, the tunnel begins to uh, turn into something more orderly and most importantly it stops going down and it begins sloping across um, with some actually ingenious architectural construction where it's it's sort of almost like a roller coaster where the, the natural construction is passively using gravity to keep the water moving. It's almost like a, a very, very primitive pump type system um, that would have, have kept the water um, at the time that this whole tunnel was, was submerged, would have kept the water moving towards the city of Nowood. Um, you, you come to the second night, and again, in search of a, a place to stay, I'm going to roll attention die. And you do find another little kind of hovel off to the side. Uh, but you are not the first to rest in this hovel. Um, as you come around the corner and you look deeper into what can only amount to maybe a 40-foot kind of dent in the wall, uh, maybe a workroom for the, the people who at one point kind of built this, this aqueduct, um, there is a dead creature, a quite dead creature, um, laying there, uh, probably three to five months dead, um, the, the skeleton not yet exposed under the decaying flesh um, laying among their kind of rusted and dusty possessions. Is it a humanoid? Yes, it's a humanoid. Is uh, it easy? Can we identify, like, what variety of humanoid? Yeah, why don't you roll survival? Okay. Can Zop rummage through the things? Sure. Uh, why don't you roll investigation? 17 on survival. Okay. Uh, you can identify that this humanoid was, in fact, just a human. Um, okay. 
and they were they were a, a average build, probably six foot, maybe five eleven, and they um, there there's some kind of like uh, a robe or toga or something like that, but it's pretty tattered and, and shredded up. Um, there's a a huge gash directly over the heart that goes the whole way through the human. Um, and so he's, you know, that's probably the wound that killed him. Um, and he has a, uh, like a fabric sigil that Owlin does not recognize on his, on his robe. Um, as Owlin is looking at this, Zopf has been begun kind of flitting through the pile of possessions laying around. Zopf, what did you roll? 18. 18. Uh, Zopf, you find, like, there are a number of generic adventuring tools that, you know, just over time kind of go bad, you know, rusting or corroding, like the ball bearings have all kind of corroded together to form a weird mass. Um, you can tell that wherever this fight happened that killed the creature, there was a lot of water um, because all of their stuff is, is like truly rusted and, and corroded and ruined. There's a sword that's been broken in half over time as the rust kind of ate right through the center of the blade. Um, you also find a waterlogged journal uh, like where they might have kept personal notes. And as you flip through, there might be a handful of pages in there upon further study that you could still make out what's on what's on the pages. Um, you also find a uh, sigil of Zanir, uh, the god that Do Bumblefoot is the avatar of. Um, kind of, It's just like a small little token or amulet, you know, on a little chain. Um, the chain, of course, is also rusted through, but the token itself is made of wood. And so it, it seems to be mostly fine. Um, that's what you find. Uh, Alan will show Zopf the patch that was on the toga, I think. Is that what you said? That's yeah. the thing that I didn't recognize. Um, I, I don't recognize this symbol. Do you know it? Can I roll a history? Uh, yeah, you can roll a history for it, but it won't actually matter what you roll because as you're looking at it, oh. Radford leaning over, maybe over Alan's shoulder to look at it. Radford, you recognize the sigil of the Society of the Silver Sky. Right. I am, uh, I am unfamiliar with that sigil. I am as well, Radford. Do you know it? Um, do I notice anything before I answer that? Do I notice any signifiers of station or anything like that on the toga? Or uh, the toga is too sh- too kind of tattered and torn from its fight for you to see. There would normally be like a, a sort of symbol that goes around the guildhouse sigil, and that would indicate their rank. Mm. That part has been torn, so you're not really able to determine the creature's rank. Um, can I do a medicine check real quick to see how long it's been dead? Absolutely. That's a lot. Uh, 19. Uh, the creature has been dead uh, five and a half months, almost to the day. And the cause of death is obviously the puncture wound directly through the heart. But in addition, you find signs of asphyxiation um, by a metal object. So it seems that during the fight, something metal was wrapped around this creature's neck and it was being asphyxiated before the killing blow was delivered. The killing blow is too thick to have been one of the sharp tentacles of an aboleth. Um, It was some kind of sharp metallic weapon. And you can see little traces of, you know, the scratches and the jagged edges that indicate, again, that this was not like a, a natural blade. This was something that kind of mauled its way through the creature. In Radford's travels, 
and studies and kind of being a part of the groups that he's he's been a part of has he ever encountered shadow creatures no Um, I do recognize it oh go ahead oh sorry Um, could I use press the digitation to um, clean up the waterlogged journal and then begin reading through it like skimming absolutely Um, and I'll give you the first uh, you can roll investigation but I'm going to give you one of the pages for free um, because of your press the digitation but then investigation will determine how many more of them I give you so you can't fail this check but the better you roll the more things you learn okay I got a 15. Okay. Um, I'm going to DM you some stuff that you find on the pages while the rest of the players are, are cool. going about their business. Radford looks a little sad. Um, he was one of my... Uh, one of my colleagues at the Silver Sky. Oh, and he kind my. of drops down no to idea. his knees. Yeah, you 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 wouldn't have known. I don't talk about it that much, but I don't know what he would have been out here this this far away doing. What's the silver sky? It's uh, I don't really do much with them anymore. I've kind of taken uh, going my own path, but it's the place where I. Received my training and, and spent a lot of my a lot of my youth trying to pursue law and order and, and balance. They so uh will, like flutter over onto your shoulder and just kind of like hug your head or neck. Oh, I appreciate I appreciate that. I'm fine. I'm fine. It's just it's been a while since I've uh you know seen the uniform and well, I mean. Just kind of putting a couple of things together, and he kind of like taps his rock hard abs, and he's like, "We're pretty capable." So I'm really kind of concerned with what took this guy down. That does seem foreboding. Um, was is it likely that he was uh, of a similar martial training as yourself? Similar yeah. Type of skills. Yeah. So. Kind of the way that it works is uh, once we're once our training is done, we travel the world and look for grievances and injustices, and when we find one that really resonates with us, we we like take it on a, as our own, hmm. and we meet out the justice for it. So. Whatever he was here for had to have been significant. Yes. And and he kind of like I don't know, kind of like mentally draws like some some lines and some in, like like he's he's kind of like uh, going over the crime scene a little bit, mentally drawing out. And on in his vision with his finger. It wasn't successful, which means that whatever it was is still out there. Hmm. Right. Uh, I have officially oh. sent all the stuff that uh, Zopf is able to learn from the journal. The um, the this journal has uh, some information in it, guys. 
Oh, oh. What you got there? I'll put it in the chat and then I'll save things so you guys can read it <laughs> as I'm describing it. Okay. This is probably great for the audio-only experience. <laughs> yeah. We're okay. getting there. So, um... The, the, the city has been overgrown. Um... And there's, like, some, like, peeking through, but it's, like, blocking out a lot of the sun. Um, every morning, creatures come to torture the Avatar. And they... These are the batteries oh, that no. they're charging. Hmm. And they bring with them, and they're carried away by Dragonel through the roof of the city. And then, oh, five dude. months ago, the team increased size and firepower, traveling with strange, darkened creatures armed with chains wrapped around their arms. Hmm. This is... This sounds about correct with what we were theorizing last night. Um, it is an interesting wrinkle that they are able to bring batteries to be charged and take them elsewhere for other uses. I hadn't even considered that to be an option. I would have assumed that they were trying to build some sort of underground network to to relay the power that they were drawing from the avatars um, through some sort of underground system rather than simply charging and moving um, different isn't batteries. that what the, isn't that what uh, you guys said they were doing at the Umbral Sea, though? They were transporting stuff. They were transporting things, I guess. Perhaps I hadn't even considered that they were transporting the batteries. I just know that there were the different clusters of batteries being charged, and I assumed that they were either there as a part of the relay or or just for other uses throughout the base, but you're correct. That, that makes sense. I thank you for drawing that conclusion from something I described but hadn't even considered I'm a wise old man Alan it also says that um, dew is encased in a magic circle on the pedestal that once served as the town square like an offering on an altar beneath the scale of stars Mm. that is consistent with what we found before Um, and with do being trapped in the center of town that means we will be sitting ducks if we go for a full scale assault um, or whenever we try to spring do we will have to draw fire or draw attention perhaps elsewhere I think if we can get in, destroy the circle and get out, that would probably be the best, like we don't need to fight everything we just need to get out with this is true Having heard the the journal entry about the creatures with chains wrapped around their arms, it's reasonable to connect the dots that this adventurer that you found is probably killed by those chains. You know, with one maybe wrapped around its throat and then the other punched uh, straight through its heart. Wash knew that. Just chat. Just for the record. <laughs> Wash knew that. Radford didn't. <laughs> hmm. That... I wonder if... 
those creatures are more of these limbo <laughs> beasts or shades. I think we should assume that they are. That is a safe assumption. Hmm. Or an unsafe assumption, depending on how you look at things. DM. Yep. Um, in Radford's investigation of of this like like now that he's kind of reactivated older parts of his brain being with the society of the silver sky mm-hmm. um and as he kind of like goes into batman arkham asylum crime scene mode can he like like assess the area here and try to like pick up traces of the battle that happened i know it's old but with two creatures of this amount of power there has to be telltale signs in the terrain of like where they came from how they ended here stuff like that yeah roll uh justify a check and then roll it with advantage because you were part of the guild justify one of your skills well if he holds l2 (laughs) your senses activate so i think that's justification enough i'm gonna hold l2 (laughs) and activate my sensors um no what he's going to do is uh think of something really quick watch think of something really quick um i know what he's gonna do he's gonna light some incense and he is going to make a religion check to feel the vibe Mm. in the area i like it And so he starts going through almost like almost like a form in martial arts and he's like slowly like this is not chill Kelnor Radford. He's now very rigid in his form and the smoke from the incense he's like waving it around and trying to get a sense of like air pressure and movement and but he's also like focusing his key. He's starting to starting to build and blend in um, the essence of the world the the checking of the vibes through Kelnor and understanding not just like him as his as himself being in the world of Uroda but his now connection with the world and his environment and the two moving together it's not all obvious to you but you're definitely able to figure out parts of the tale. As you begin to swirl the smoke around you to the others, it looks just like you're moving your hand through smoke. There's not anything apparent to see, but in the dim light of Owlin's torch, to you, the smoke begins to take on shapes as you kind of look through the, you, you almost use the smoke as a lens. And so as you mm-hmm. look through with the, the newly channeled spirit energy of your key and you kind of waft it around the room, you begin to trace the scratch marks on the walls. You start to recognize the whooshing of chains as they would have scraped across the wall. You begin to see in the rivets on the ground, the drags as uh, the drag marks as, as a creature drags this body in here, delivers the killing blow and leaves it. Um, you watch as... Um, a, a kind of strange divot on the far side of the room becomes revealed to you as a splash of corrosive acid 
that is washed down from the wall and begins dripping among the possessions that are here. This creature must have been using this area as sort of a base of operations, which indicates to you that you're pretty close to Nowood. Um, the you watch as almost time reverses, and so now you've seen kind of how the story ended. You begin to watch the footsteps of a hulking shadow creature. Um, you know, one chain wrapped around the neck, leading this creature almost to the slaughter leads the creature into this little hovel, pushes it among its own possessions down to its knees, and then stabs it through the heart. And then you watch that backwards as the creature um, and its quarry walk out of the room and they begin to backpedal down the tunnel further in the direction that you believe no wood to be. And with a final exhale, the incense fades. I'd rolled a 25 on my religion, if that matters. You did great. Um, but. Okay. This is it. This right here. This room, I think, is our last stand. If we're going to collect ourselves and make any preparations. It looks like it was his base of operations. So How much, how much farther is, is the town center? I don't know, but I know the direction. I and if this, if this was his base of operations, then it must not be too far. If if this if here was his cause that he had chosen, his injustice that he had chosen to write. Oh, well, we need to spend the night. Yes. Um. Observant. Well, I have something for you, Alan. What 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 do you mean? Um and he reaches into his pack and says Fox wanted me to hang on to this, and I think it's probably time to give it to you. Mostly because I forgot of it, but you know that's how it works sometimes. Um and he pulls out an ice shard rifle. From oh. the fallen tower, and hands it to uh, to Alan. I think it's damaged. It might need a little tinkering on, but I think that's your expertise. I, wow! I I forgot that Fox had even grabbed one of these. These are well, quite interesting that? devices. Well, it's a as you can tell, it's shaped like a device that would fire a projectile or at least you know and Alan will kind of show his uh, like flame you know kind of gesture to his flame thrower on his on his belt uh, and it's it's a bit larger um, and I've seen um, private security goons use these and I've also seen uh, a man we met Savage use um, a more refined version of this that actually fired a projectile using um different it's, it's, it's extremely interesting um but this is kind of cipher or magic operated i believe um but it fires an, an an ice shard and it can be extremely deadly and precise um they were quite annoying when they were used against us um in the fallen tower um but so do really expect them to use them when we fight them uh, we haven't encountered them much since. I'm not sure why. Perhaps they've had trouble manufacturing them or simply um, 
have found them to be impractical in some way. I'm not sure. As a reminder, um, from a mechanical standpoint, just since this is now in your inventory, Alan, um, these things use wingle digits to fire, not the weave. Um, okay. So it's 10 That's wingle digits for a casting of the spell Ice Knife as though it were cast at second level, not first level, and you have double the range. So 120 foot range instead of 60. Okay. Um, um, what should I put, like, ice ni- cannon of ice knife or something like that? That's whatever you want to call it. It's It basically looks like a hunting rifle is the, the design okay. and aesthetic of it. So it's bolt action. It takes a full round to reload it with, um, or not a full round. It takes a full action to reload it with um, wingle digits. So if you have a bonus action attack, then you can um, reload it and fire in the same turn. Otherwise, you would need to reload as your action one turn and then fire the next turn. I call it the, the ice knifle. You can tell because the <laughs> knifling inside of the the barrel. I I like that a lot. Um, well, it was a definitely on high alert. Yes, I agree. And, um, Alan, from your time in the library, you read up on the at least historically on the city of Nowood. Um, and so you okay. know that Nowood is built around the conical inside of a mountain. Uh, stretching up towards the sky and the top has been lopped off so that it's kind of like a volcano, um, which means that natural light can get into most of the city. So with that in mind, um, I'm going to give you the option to choose whether you'd like to approach at night or during the day. And you're going to choose what you want and then you're going to roll a nature check or you can opt to have one of your party roll it for you to do your best to estimate exactly when night and day are because you've been underground for three days or for two days in these pitch black tunnels. Sure. Um, Alan was going to consult the group real quick. Uh, it, we have options, obviously, um, as to whether we can approach during the night or during the day. Um, however, due to the journal entry that Zop read, um, it seems as though even during the day, the city doesn't necessarily get that much sunlight um, as it is mostly overgrown now. Um, you know, there's al- there was already only a small space for the sun to come through. Ratford and I can't even see, like, if it's completely dark, so I think I'd vote for the day, because then we get a little bit of light. That was, that was what I was going to bring up, is that I think a small amount of, um, of sunlight may be actually beneficial for us and also beneficial against the yes exactly beneficial against the shadow creatures I think that's Um, a good idea so yes you know you uh, also didn't you say that with that uh rod thing you have you can ask questions this is true yes I can we can we can go and try and do some recon or maybe that can help I I think I think perhaps a good plan would be to rest for the night come back during the day or go, try to approach during the day simply to scout I'd take another night to rest again and I can summon counsel from the rod as far as based on our scouting, what would be the best approach? And then from there, <laughs> begin our our plan. Does that does that sound reasonable? That's a, that's much smarter than what I would have come up with. I think that's a good idea. I like that plan. Perfect. Well, then I think uh, 
We will rest for tonight. Did you have a bus? I well, it was. I I wouldn't have even thought to summon the Council of the Rod um, in this situation if you hadn't have brought it up. So I really appreciate that. It's one of those things where it feels almost so sacred and valuable of a of an mm-hmm. ability that it's almost hard. It's hard to judge when that when using it is appropriate. If that makes sense. But I think that's a good usage of it. I'm going to give you two options, party. Uh, so your your plan is to basically spend one day scouting and then one day actually approaching and doing your thing. Um, yep. One option is that you can actually do the day scouting and I'll let you roll skill checks and explore and you know try and wend your way around and spatially understand the space ahead of you. And that's fine. We could totally do it that way. Another option is we will say you spent one day scouting so each of you gets one ocean during your... Um, during your next day's assault and I'll give you a brief overview of what it looks like in the present tense but we Ah. won't spend the time on the day we'll assume that because you had your extra recon time you were able to prepare for what might happen to you and so you would would each have one ocean available to you I think that's fun I'll take the ocean yeah I think that's a fun way of reintroducing that mechanic do you want to explain um, to chat how oceans work? Yeah, I'll do a brief little explanation for chat here. Uh, chat, we recently did a heist mini series based off of the Sly Cooper games or like the Ocean's Eleven type heists or, you know, really complicated like crime stuff. And to incorporate that, rather than having to actually make a plan, because we all know if there's one thing D&D parties are great at, it's not making plans. Uh, we decided to introduce a mechanic called Oceans, where the more prep time you spent, the more Ocean's Eleven type flashbacks you got access to. And so you can spend an ocean to do a skill check in the past. You can't undo the present. So if Alan goes around the corner and there's a guard there, he can't have an ocean flashback to the past and kill that guard. The guard's already there in the scene. But what he could do is he could say, yeah, but when I was reconning, I had a feeling that this would be a high, highly patrolled area. So I hid my flamethrower right there underneath some debris. And that way, when the guard comes around the corner, we can flash back to the present tense and Alan can pull that weapon out of the ground real quick and use it. Um, so that's basically what a what a, a an ocean is it's it's just access to a flashback something cool that you did in the past to prepare you for the present and it's a really great way to simulate D parties being prepared in fact i will let uh alan roll on behalf of his party um just a straight d20 and if he rolls more than a 10 i'll give each of you two oceans instead of one ocean wow all right let's roll it but they obviously won't carry past this assault on the you know on the on the the city because that's what you're preparing yeah for. i got an 11 two <laughs> oceans it is two oceans each well that's done good. Alan. Oceans go. good, rolls. good rolls um and then also a part of this prep as i mentioned before was after we scout alan will want to summon counsel from the rod and see if he can get ah, advice on what the yes. best approach is uh the whispers of the kings of old, the sages of old, begin surrounding your mind. Wash has a hand up. Yes, Wash? Um, I want to do a thing. Redford wants to do a thing that first night, if that matters, like in interjecting. Okay, you, before or after he first. summons council? Alan's going to summon council the second night after the scouting. Okay. So, Redford, what are you doing the first night? Uh, Redford wants to try to touch the rod of wisdom. Oh, okay. Uh, do you have it with you? He does. Uh, what's your wisdom mod? Plus two. Or I'm sorry. What's your wisdom score? 
14. Radford reaches out towards uh, the Rod of Wisdom, a scepter of blackest obsidian with a rearing dragon at its head, and he rests a hand on it, um, and under your hand, the black obsidian feels as though it's heating up, and as the heat intensifies, uh, Owlin and, and Zopf, you don't physically see this, you only feel and hear the rush of flame as a burning dragon's head launches out of the head of the scepter and chars you um, kind of up your arm and into your shoulder. You suffer six hit points of fire damage, um, which I guess Ooh. for you is probably halved. Um, but it, it, you know, leaps out of the, the scepter and you feel that you have been repelled by the powers within. I did that. That was me. That's I, my bad. What, what what's was that the rock? Don't worry about it. And he stuffs it back into his bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, now, uh, the the next day comes in, so you go and you kind of scout in the daytime, and you see mm-hmm. that just as uh, the the knight or the, the, the Society of the Silver Sky person, as, as this person wrote, you know, the city is deeply overgrown um, by foliage that crosses the, you know, the cracks of the, the flagstones and and mosses and ivies that have kind of wound their way around the various, you know, doorways and windows and they hang in great curtains off the edges of things. You also get your first glimpse of Nowood, of the city. And so you can see this massive architectural achievement for the first race to ever exist. These creatures were the first created by the gods Zanir in the first era more than 11,000 years ago. Um, the Hematicians have built for themselves it it almost looks like a Jenga stat like a like a clumsy Jenga stack of blocks, except they're all attached to the mountain behind them. So you're on the inside of this big cone and the buildings just jut out from there, kind of at weird angles, clearly handmade and stacked on top of each other. These I, they would be narrow for hematicians, but for your purposes, they're fairly wide, accommodating streets that kind of wind their way vertically into the different piles of, of accommodations and buildings and structures. And they're kind of conjoined by weird ramps that have been chiseled into the mountain. So you have to go up the outside almost exclusively. There is one massive pillar in the center of no wood. Um, and at the top of that is a huge round area, probably three, maybe 400 feet across with a, a raised stage uh, in the center of that, that would have served as both, um, like an announcement point, it would have been a place for entertainment. You know, if there was jousting or sports tournaments, um, it would have been their their square. You know, where a herald might cry the news to the hematicians who were gathered there. Um, now, of course, it's all blanketed in a a thick coating of dust, stone dust. That um, the air in this in this cone is for the most part still because it's so deep, you know, it's, it's taller for sure than Gaim was. Um, and, and Gaim was, you know, 1200 feet tall. This is maybe a mile from the bottom to the top. Um, and the, the, the dust, because it sits still most of the time as you walk, it begins to swirl in strange kind of shadowy recreations of yourselves following you as you walk, which is spooky in itself when you're looking for like shadowy creatures to be in the shadows and attack you. Um, you are stealthy enough in this day of scouting that you don't trigger any attacks. You're not ambushed by anything, but also you don't see any creatures. Um, you don't dare venture high enough to where you would be even with that plinth that you're sure mm-hmm. do is imprisoned on. So you still don't know the state of the avatar. 
Um, but you can see that in addition to all this ancient stuff, these cool architectural achievements and the dust that's coating everything, you know, the, the kind of dappled beams of sunlight. So there's, you know, hundreds of teeny tiny pinpricks of light that are all illuminated the whole way down, like, you know, like a spotlight in haze um, with all of the dust that's in the air. In addition to that, right in the center of the city, around this pedestal, there is a uh, hastily built sort of like wooden scaffolding like you would see in modern construction um, that creates just a, a ramp or a spiral staircase. It's pretty steep. You know, it's obviously been built for, for quick use. It's not meant to be like, you know, big crowds are going up and down it. You couldn't get a wagon up and down it. Um, but there is that, that direct route and it's not very dusty and it seems like it, you know, it's been trafficked fairly recently and stuff. It seems like maybe only a couple weeks worth of dust for a place like this, maybe, maybe more. Um, but certainly not the eras of dust that coats the, you know, the, this place was abandoned by the Hematicians in the middle, maybe late second era. And um, since then, it's had nothing to do except decompose in place. So, you know, there are lots of structures that were built to withstand the test of time and have. It's all made of stone, but there are plenty of structures that were built hastily. And so the stone roofs have crumbled or, you know, tectonic activity maybe has sent a small section of the city that once, you know, hung out from the upper area of the cone has fallen and smashed on the ground. And so there's plenty of rubble and things to hide behind uh, on the ground, even without counting the foliage. You get the impression that you could stealthily move for about as long as you wanted to before approaching the actual plinth, whether you went up the outside of the cone and then tried to jump or, or bridge that gap or whether you wanted to go up the ramp or whatever that looked like, you're confident you could do it stealthily. So that's what your recon yields not counting your preparations each of you has two oceans and then we come to the second night and Alan sits down he grabs the the rod of intelligence and for the first time since attuning he he leans into the effects of this rod and he begins to channel the 72 past um eras of existence if you will the 72 eons that came before um and you begin to hear the whispers of those kings and those sages and all those intelligent minds that have been kind of encapsulated in this scepter and the world around you begins to fade away almost like visiting the ethereal plane except instead of becoming grayscale it's becoming vibrant vibrant color um deeper and more real than anything you've ever seen and when you open your eyes and you look up you are sitting cross-legged on the floor of a zen garden in the middle of a little bit of sand next to you is the little rake laying on the ground and in front of you is one being that is representative of many beings you can see lots of faces flickering across its personage and it's sitting equally cross-legged looking towards you sometimes you're looking into the eyes of a great queen with eyes terrible from the wars she's won sometimes you're looking into the eyes of a wizened old sage sometimes you're looking into the eyes of a young child who is just preternaturally intelligent sometimes you're looking into the eyes of a conqueror you know a barbarian warlord um, and as you're looking at all of these faces, the creature turns its head to the side and waits for you to speak. I am in a party of three, and we must free an avatar, Do Bumblefoot, from the city of Nowood. He is, she are, she is trapped, bound by an arcane sigil at the top of the town square 
and is likely being guarded and tortured by creatures of limbo. The city is overgrown, it's abandoned, and we need to rescue Dew in order to continue our mission to bring magic back into the world. What do you, oh great and intelligent rulers and thought leaders of the past, what, what would you recommend our approach be? A dwarven woman with fiery red hair raises a teacup to her lips, and as an elderly human sets down a flask of mead on the ground in front of you and it fades away back into the sand, you hear the voice of a gnome uh, ringing out of the, the, the poly creature, if you will. And it says, Well, there's not much we can tell you about your current world, but the plane of limbo, the plane of limbo we know very well. The chaos energy, if you will, that makes up the plane of limbo can only be created into something by a great intellect. But it has no discernment between friend or foe. Another mind can crowd it out, can rewrite a reality that has been written. If all of the defenses against which you fight are maintained from this, this limbo energy, this chaos energy, and then suddenly the face changes again and you're standing in front of, uh, or not standing, you're sitting in front of a, uh, uh, like a, like a large owl bear with um, a huge pike in his hand who's drawing out battle plans in the sand. And he says, right now, if we can just take over the mental energies of these creatures and we can kind of push out the discerning influence, we could bend them to our own will, lads. We could turn them into our own sort of demi-army, a creation of, of, of our own making, or we could unmake them. We could take what was meant to be an ambush and turn it into a, I don't know, a, a nice down feather bed. And then as he disappears, um, he's replaced by a, uh, another small dwarf, this one a male um, clearly like Uncle Iroh style, you know, balding with um, his little, you know, his, his possessions over his shoulder. And he's looking down at it and he says, but you must be careful because the energy of Limbo will push back against you if you do this. You'll find yourself uh, given to the chaotic. Your impulses may be overwritten and there's only so much protection that we can give you. For it is not only your intelligence, but your wisdom that this energy will attack. And if you find yourself corrupted by it, you may find that your very being can be influenced by any creature with sufficient mental standing. So I suggest a warm cup of tea before going into fight. It always sharpens my senses. <laughs> and then the uh, creature disappears and you are uh, hearing the echoey voice of um, a, like a, like a great orator who might give speeches or, or lead um, sermons or something like that. But you're hearing this great orator's voice. And as for the arcane circle within which your quarry has been imprisoned, all arcane circles react to a root sigil. And so if you can find the foundational magic over which it matters not how complex the arcane circle is, if you can find the foundational spell, which to be honest is usually low level because we are lazy folk, if you can find the foundational spell and corrupt it or twist it, you could take that circle and force it to do something else. Or in your case, perhaps 
the opposite of its own function. If you could make a slight adjustment to the runes rather than destroying it and triggering the inevitable failsafe of any megalomaniac warlord, you could instead turn it to your own will, and so you might expel the imprisoned party, see them flung into the air and to safety where perhaps you have someone dexterous waiting to catch them like a trapeze artist in the theater. And then this person disappears and you're standing before the innocent eyes of a young boy and he holds in his hand a small um like a a small sort of wind up toy like uh you know kind of meant to imitate like a frog where you kind of wind it up and it'll hop and he reminds you a little bit of a younger owlin um in in the aos lore foundation tower kind of puzzling away at the different contraptions that his artificer's mind wanted to unwind and the boy begins twisting the frog backwards he says the most important thing about any creation is that when you let go, it acts of its own accord. And the frog hops out of his hand and disappears into the sand. So this trap that you're approaching will not require a mind to maintain it. And that means that that mind will be active in other ways as you attack. Be wary of whatever your foes are capable of because they will not be encumbered by focusing on the bounds that hold your prey. And then as his voice echoes off and the, the voices of the ancients become just whispers around you, you find yourself once more sitting cross-legged next to the deceased member of the Society of the Silver Sky um, and Radford and Zopf. Radford and Zopf, it's been about 15 minutes. What are each of you doing as Alan kind of sits there just meditating Radford. on a scepter? has been brewing tea and as mm-hmm. Owlin comes to he has uh, a little pot of tea and some cups set out still steaming so um Zav has the find familiar spell okay and so he would have used that and then he has an owl which fly very quietly or silently even um and it's just like perched um within a hundred feet so we can maintain the spell and I can maintain contact with it and I can see through it periodically as like a, if something's approaching. Okay. Uh, I'll let it just up your passive perception a little bit. If you're just like checking in from time to time to see if anything's happening, is that basically what you're using it for? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so up your passive perception by like four, um, while you have the, the owl there. That'd be 14 then. Great. Uh, so you have a passive perception of 14 for the moment. Um, and that's what we have. So yeah, it is nighttime. Uh, <laughs> the dawn of the final day approaches. <laughs> and uh, so when Alan <clears throat> comes to, he'll immediately see and smell um, the tea that Radford has made and say, "Oh, that uh, I didn't expect that to be a literal recommendation." But uh, I find it calms the mind and helps focus the senses. Alan like squints <laughs> and like thinks like tries to like visualize the the ancient. Why are you that, looking at the top of my head? Uh, Is there something up there? No, it's um, just having a a pleasant sense of deja vu. And That's Alan will take the tea too. and drink it. Yes, it is very good. Um, he'll say as he as he sips on it, and um, he'll say, "Well, uh, I." counseled with the minds within the rod and um some interesting recommendations came up um learning 
some more about the the realm of limbo which is extremely interesting um apparently these limbo creatures the uh because they are so chaotic and they're from chaos energy you can one can disrupt the control that the mind that the intellect that is controlling them currently has on such a creature and perhaps either bend that creature into a certain direction or attempt to maintain your own control on them as well um which is extremely interesting i i wasn't able to glean exactly what the method for that for it would be however i would assume it would involve some sort of contact uh whether that be physical or mental so um, we can exert our mind over these shadow beings apparently however it was warned to me that such a such a move would be risky and that you risk exposing your mind to the mind of the previous controller of that creature so there's a chance that we could be exposing our mind to the aboleths if we if we attempted this um i also learned more about arcane circles in that perhaps an easier way to disrupt or destroy an arcane circle wouldn't necessarily be to scratch out all of the markings on it like i have done previously but to perhaps modify the circle to be a different spell that perhaps is something more of what you want it to be perhaps a perhaps a spell of fly that could cause to bumblefoot to instead of being entrapped but fly straight up and be perhaps caught by um one of us uh in a kind of a rescue attempt um i think that we have some good options for what we can hey, try Josh. tomorrow. What's up? Can I either use like an arcana roll to like scribble like a um or figure out like what kind of rune what the base style of rune would look like for like the encompassing or entrapment spell that they're using? Yes, so when you are looking at the an arcane circle, when you're examining it, um, if it's arcane, then you can use an arcana check, and if it's uh, divine, you can use a religion check to identify the base spell. Okay. Um, the complexity of the circle determines how hard it is to get to like the actual spell at its core. Um, you can assume that these will be pretty complex. We're probably looking at 16 or 17 as your DC for what yeah. I, you know, like this is something the Aboleths invented. It may even be higher than that. You don't know, but probably yeah. starting in the 16 range. Um, once you have identified that spell to alter the spell will require one check of something you can justify your character being able to do. So like for Owlin, it would be an artificer tools check based in intelligence. Um, but some check and you'll need one check to switch schools. So like, you know, there's the eight schools of magic or really there's 10 now. Um, but the schools of magic, there's, um, the, one, one check to change the spell and one check to change level. So if the, if the underlying spell is a level one spell in the School of Evocation and you want it to become a level two spell of Abjuration, then that would be the most checks. That would be three checks you have to succeed on. But if you find a level two spell of Abjuration and you want a different level two spell of Abjuration, that's only one modification you need to make. Okay. 
Well, that is good to know. Um, well, if if they are, let me do some research about what kind of spell they might be using to, or do some thinking on what kind of spell they might be using. ChatGPT. Um, <laughs> Google. Uh. Uh, this isn't really my wheelhouse, so anyway, I can support you. Here, I'll work on your shoes while you're doing that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I appreciate that. Zap will also be like thinking with Alan, brainstorming the different, was, like, uh, I guess, entrapment spells. I say, Al and Alan might be his 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 one of his other priorities tonight before he rests is to see if he can fix up that rifle of, of ice knife. Oh, the rifle has um, been fixed up by Randy. Oh, it's in oh, working great, order. Cool, great, cool. Ten one digits um, to fire, but otherwise, like, works fine. Correct. Cool. Great. Um, yeah, uh, I was say, can I? I think did did Zopf already roll an Arcana check to see if? Not yet. Okay. Without seeing the circle, you're not going to be able to extrapolate from the circle. I but see. you can roll okay. to try and guess, I suppose. But the check's going to be super duper high. Well, Okay, in that case, that's fine. Um, Alan might just like think about like what. All right, what goes into a fly spell? <laughs> um, so that if he's in a situation where he needs to modify or the catapult spell, <laughs> uh, <laughs> callback. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, transmutation is fly, and it's a third level spell, so that is good to know. Spell. No. Levitation just sends the object up into the air. The object doesn't have to be conscious. This yeah. is Wash. This is this is Jebediah Peppermint coming at you from the <laughs> from the past. Uh, hey, hey, Alan, if you remember, this is he, <laughs> a little, a little ghostly head pops out of the intelligence <laughs> rod. He's like, hey, hey, pup, remember? <laughs> if, you, if you cast fly on them, then that means that person needs to be in control of it, not you. But uh, but if you cast levitate, then you can make them go up and down. The presumption just, just of Jeb, you were wondering. The presumption of Jeb to assume he's one of this existence's representatives <laughs> in the rod of intelligence is yep. awesome. I love the self confidence. <laughs> you you uh, think he wouldn't? He's gotta be like, oh no, man, sure Alan's got the rod. I'm totally in there. Um so yeah, Alan <laughs> will think about that. Um also, um I have an owl familiar, so we don't need to take watch, the owl can watch. Oh, perfect. That is great to know. Well, in that case, I believe our general strategy for tomorrow will be to approach as quietly as we can, attempt to um, surprise perhaps one of those shade creatures, um, get into contact with it to try to exert will over it, um, and then from there, instead of spending all this effort to destroy the, the sigil... Um, we should instead modify. modify it, modify it, and use that as a, a way for perhaps you, Zopf, to take uh, do while then Radford and I escape on the ground. Um, Does that sound like a good outline? Do if that if, it, if, if do is unconscious, I will not be able to carry her. Well, you will be the same size. You are both small. Does that make any difference? Um, I'm just not strong. <laughs> uh, well, with a limited I mean, spell and your yeah. wings, could you perhaps guide her simply yeah. to a safer spot? And then, they, 
Okay. They need to be next to your rod, though. Like, within range. Well, if I guess if the intent is for us to disable some of the magic going on around with Dew not being there, I guess that makes sense. The range of the rod is fairly long. Um, that's a problem I think we will solve when we get to it. I That's not something I, I, gen- I often say. Like I can, sure, I can sure. Push, but I think pushing will be will be enough to get to a a safe spot. Just push her up, yeah. Just push her up. <laughs> um. Uh, well, let's get a good night's sleep and. Uh, that sounds good. And so you do, and with uh, alarming swiftness, the uh, the next morning is upon you. You wake up at the appointed time. Uh, nothing has has gone awry during the night. You uh, maybe you break camp or or whatever the plan is, um, and it is it is time to press on and in to the city of Nowood. Yes, Trevor. Josh, uh, real quick, uh, right before we leave to set off, uh, Zop will flip up the hood of his cloak of elven kind, which. Um, makes it so with perception checks made to see me have disadvantage i have advantage on stealth checks to hide and the cloak's color shifts to clam- camouflage me and pulling the hood up and down requires an action okie doke um all that stuff happens yes look at you go as long as you're near enough to alan for yes yes, yes. um for his powers to help great uh, anybody else doing any other preparations or are we doing I was going to say, Alan will do his darndest to be quiet. Like he's going to, mm-hmm. the, the goal is for us to start off stealthy and Alan's not very good at that generally, but there's going to be With all that um, time you did and mapping it out and with as overgrown as the city is, you can definitely roll it with advantage. Okay, cool. Everybody gets four temporary hit points from, from Radford's Tasty Treats. Ooh. Let's go. Breakfast was awesome. Oh yeah. Always. War breakfast is best breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> That's what and, Alan uh, says at the very, at the morning in the morning. <laughs> before we before we he leaves the little hovel, Radford kneels down again next to this member of the Society of the Silver Sky and um, places his hand like kind of traces his claws across its forehead. Um and says this injustice is mine mm. Ooh. and so you move towards the city of Nowood it's not very far down the tunnel before you find yourselves at the base of the massive city um, just as you scouted before with the cloud of dust illuminate as the morning sun is coming up it's still kind of blue hour in here right the sun's not high enough to actually shine down but there's enough light kind of ambiently bouncing around that you can see dimly what's ahead of you so we're in dim lighting conditions which means you can see 30 feet um like shapes and and you can see a little bit of color 60 feet it's all grayscale you can only basically make out spatially where things are um you step out into the city of Nowood, and you have before you either the option of going up the outer edge of the city or trying to make your way to the um, wooden scaffolding at the middle of the city, and I'd like to know what everybody rolled on stealth. I believe that it would be wise to start on the outside 
um, as it will be we will be less exposed on the way up. Um, I, had a I agree. Also, seventeen on stealth. Thirteen on stealth. I'm following you, boss, and I got eighteen on my stealth. Cool. Um, the group is moving with an average stealth of fifteen, and if you split up, we'll land on your your actual scores. Uh, so you begin, you said the outside edge? Yes. Okay, so you begin climbing one of the winding roads, uh, and, you know, up close you can definitely see, you know, the, the between the foliage and the rubble and the dust and everything, like, you know, this is, this is a city in disrepair. Um, but you can also begin to see some of the history that uh, chiseled in stone, unlike weaker buildings, kind of has carried through. You know, you pass by a hall where you can imagine lavish wedding celebrations um, taking place. Or you pass by a home where you can see the char marks on the roof where someone probably broke city ordinances to burn a fire because they thought it was cozy. You know, just little hints of of past Hematitian society. Um, As you get higher through this kind of winding way and out of what you can really tell is kind of like a residential district, if you will, as you reach the top of that, you get a great sight line, not to the top of the plinth where, where Dew Bumblefoot is. This will probably take a while to get up to that height, but you do have a good access of just like looking underneath it. You can see the, the wooden scaffolding spiraling up towards it. And you can see almost like an observation area. And there are a lot of these that have been kind of built throughout the city. And so kind of crouching along maybe, you know, behind a little bit of rubble, you can almost picture, um, you know, the crowds of hematicians as they as they lay or or stood really in, in groups watching someone orate from the the plinth from the town hall you can hear you know maybe maybe a a, a mayor or a queen or a king is imploring them to war you know urging them on to victory and you can see the masses kind of cheering and crying and you can hear their voices echo around the cone as you as you relive what was there um you continue your climb winding through these buildings and you can see uh, as you enter a district clearly trafficked less than any others. Alan, you remember reading um, about uh, an area of Nowood that was once known as the Plague Quarter, you know, an area that that Hematitian stopped going to because after the rust plague that swept through uh, the city, the most contagious people were all moved to this area. And it became almost like a superstition or a stigma where people were like, I can't go there. I might get sick. Even, you know, centuries after the, the plague had been ended by Zanir. Um, you move through the plague quarter and because it was less trafficked, there was less wear and tear on it. And so it's endured really well. And you can see even some like dusty kind of deteriorating frames of, you know, medical cots and beds that are, you know, perhaps 10,000 years old. Some of it has endured. Um, you can begin to see little dens that animals or other creatures have made. A little fox is disturbed by your walking, scampers across the path and kicks some little rocks down. Everyone freezes for a moment, wondering if this will be the spring of the ambush, but nothing happens. Um, and then it's actually Zop who gets the first indication that you're not alone. Uh, Zop, you get, you get a little something through the owl network, if you will. Uh, your owl indicates that there's movement ahead of you. Um, and as far as the owl can tell, it's just the wind disturbing a little bit of the foliage, you know, the wind kind of gently blowing 
maybe one of the curtains of ivy that kind of has fallen across a doorway, except that you know full well there's not much wind down here. Uh, definitely not enough wind to disturb a heavy curtain of ivory. Um, and so that's your first indication that there might be something uh, moving or, or being up that way. Um, it does not seem to be pressing out or attacking, but you are going to have to pass that area as you continue your climb. What will the group uh, do? Heads up, we'll stop the party and like quietly whisper, oh, there's something behind the curtain up there. Hmm. This could be our chance. Is there... Alan will like kind of look to see if there's a way that they can kind of sneak around the curtain of ivy and like position themselves behind it to like get a look at like what might have what might be moving through it or or hiding behind it uh go ahead and roll a perception with disadvantage between the lighting situation the cover the all the same stuff that's making your stealth easy is making it hard to spot dangers 12 12 uh you every now and then you see a little disturbance in the in the curtain of ivy but you do not get any indication of what's beyond you don't hear anything. You don't. But it, but is, does there seem to be a like some sort of path that they can forge to get behind it? Basically. Oh, I see. So like you're trying to go around instead of going past the doorway. Yeah, to go to go around and perhaps sneak up behind. Uh, so there's not a way behind the building, but there's plenty okay. of stone and rubble and and stuff where you could climb onto the roof of the building from your path. It would be difficult to do that stealthily but not really that much more difficult than climbing the winding streets and displacing the rubble that's in your way as it is. Okay. Uh, it'd be difficult for Alan. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Radford could probably do it without even having to roll a new check. Um, Alan will like... scope it out, boss? Yes, that, I think that would be beneficial and... and do you if, want me to stay back or go with them? I can fly too. I, I'll stay here. You two go ahead and see if you can locate this... Uh, if it if it is indeed one of those shades of chaos energy, um, I will stay hidden here. Okay. But I will I will watch and if you give me a signal, whether it's a hand signal or a sound signal, I will hear and, and spring the attack. Zop and Radford uh, move up, continuing to be sneaky. Yep, you sneakily move up. Radford climbs onto the roof, and Zop kind of flutters gently behind. Um, kind of, and and for Zoff, this is a matter of kind of weaving around, like you know, some of the plants that are hanging, so you don't disturb them. Um, but you make it onto the roof, you kind of crawl forward towards the roof, the the edge, and maybe um, your owl swoops by first to try and avoid giving you know giving away the sight of the two of you. The owl reports nothing's there. Um, Radford's got a hand up. Yes, Radford. Um, Radford pulls out his little bubble pipe. Okay. It kind of sucks on it a little bit, and. Instead of pouring his little bubble fluid into it, he's going to put a little incense into it and light it, and it lets off a trail of smoke, and he's going to use that to try and detect any disturbances in the wind. Uh, You see no disturbances in the wind. The smoke is going straight up with, like, little wisps to the side, but those wisps are probably the the kinetic fire or force of the fire Mm -hmm. on the incense, not any gust of wind. There's nothing happening and you can't feel it on your person either. Okay. It's utterly silent. What do you think, Zoff? You think we uh, motion Alan over and then 
We can ambush whoever's in here. Definitely invisible, I think. Oh, you think it's being sneaky like that? Yeah. Hmm. Well, how do you want to? I'm gonna. I'm gonna motion to Alan to be like, "Come on over," but quietly. (laughs) (laughs) Alan will will as quietly as he can try Mm -hmm. to sneak forward, um, basically up to as close as he can get to them without having to climb stuff and without being. You can get the whole way to the front door without climbing. Okay, and but his whole goal is to not get so close to the front door that if some some evil creature was lurking right behind that door, <laughs> that they'd be able to pounce out and get him. Okay, um, so he'll 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 stay like, like keeping a ten foot range away, maybe. Exa- I was about to say ten feet exactly. Okay, ten feet away. <laughs> yeah, an owl in length, if you will. Yeah, uh, one Alan away from the door, uh, <laughs> and you, you Alan, you make it there. You're kind of standing in like a shadowy corner. Um, uh, by this point, the sun has come up high enough that there's just beginning to be some little peaks of light, of, of direct light, I should say, through the the canopy of foliage and into no wood. And so Alan is in his position. He's kind of holding, um, holding position as like a little beam of light pinpricks on Alan's cheek and then kind of slides off as the sun climbs and onto the ground in front of him. Radford and Zopf still taking position on the roof above. Um, there's still no indication of movement within the building. Hmm. Are there any... Is there like a chimney on this uh, roof? Sure. That's or a cool idea. any sort of like... Any sort of like is is this almost like a uh, like a Middle Eastern house where there's yes. like a stone stairs that goes up to the roof? So, absolutely okay. yes. So that's what so Radford inspired by. So if that helps anybody listening gotcha. or whatever visualize it, it is that style of of. Gotcha. So Radford's gonna. Well, hang on. Well, Radford's gonna get on all fours, and and just kind of like spider climb along the floor just to be really quiet and get down close to the stairs that head down into the first floor and he's gonna just kind of look inside there and see what he can see it is not like well he, lit he, inside however well he i was gonna say but he could he's probably looking at whatever is between the opening that he's looking through and the light on the other side so he like he would be able to see like silhouettes of mm-hmm. stuff essentially yes he definitely would you don't see any silhouettes hmm as far as Radford can tell, the house is empty. Well, he kind of stands up. And he's like, mm. <laughs> you can pass that on to Alan. Uh, hey, Alan. Radford says, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Alan will see when, when, when Radford kind of signals like no big deal. Nothing seems to be here. Um, Alan will like kind of hand signal towards the front door as like kind of like and he'll actually um, like uh, I think he'll he'll see he, he, uh, he's gonna grab the he's gonna have his his, his flame cannon um, in his other hand and like motion and like uh, motion basically like alright let's clear the house just in case like he's gonna go in the front door and he's gonna he wants Radford to still watch from the from the top 
opening as Alan right. will go maybe in Zoth is going in through the chimney. Yes, yeah, yeah. down the chimney. Great. So yeah, the, Alan wants to basically rainbow six siege this house. <laughs> Great. Um, like we trained, boss. Yeah. And just a few short seconds later, the three of you find yourselves staring, armed, ready for battle, into each other's eyes. Uh, okay. As Alan brushes aside the the ivy or the moss or whatever that's cro- you know crossing the door, kind of pushes through the curtain. Radford swings down the steps, you know, the the little opening, and lands lightly on his feet, ready for a fight. And Zopf comes bursting through the chimney, and there's nobody in there with you. Um, no shadow creatures that you can see. No anything. There's just you know it's it's pretty dark, so like you can only barely see each other's eyes. But Alan disturbed the curtain in front of the door, so you know a little bit of the the morning light is coming in. It's enough to to see each other and to see like okay, dimly the corners of this house are all empty. It's I a say, one room home. If if Alan made a quick judgment, would he determine that if he casted light on something in this room right now, would it be a, a would it be a very bright signal to anyone who was watching that they are in there? Yes. Or would it be okay? The building has windows, um, so it would it would shine out through the windows in the front door. Okay. Um. I think we're good. I I think we have to, the only choice we have is to assume we are, even though I'm fairly suspicious. Uh, well, let's continue onward, but keep one eye over our shoulder. I would say. Can I? Are there any stone pots in here? From the chimney, Josh. Uh, yes. And as you check for a draft from the chimney, you actually find one. As the rising sun has begun to warm the inside of uh, the city, some of the air has become hot, and so there is hot and cold air, and that is creating just a tiny amount of wind. And so there's a little bit of a draft kind of going up into the air. I will relay this to my partner. Well, Is there a stone so, pot in here? Like for cooking? Sure. Yes. Like for storage. Uh, yeah. Are, are you just trying to link it? Or are you going to just smash the stone pot? No, but that's the kind of pot I was hoping to find. Yeah, sure. There's a couple of those. Maybe some of them are chipped and cracked and others have survived. I pick up one of them and walk over to Alan and, and uh, take a little stone and I toss it in the pot. What if you put your light on that stone? Uh, yes, I can do that. And Alan will cast light on sure. the little stone. You've effectively the pot. created a bullseye lantern for yourself, and we will treat it as one. Uh, and I just kind of sweep it around yeah. the room real quick. Yep, you poke into all the little corners and everything like that. Um, at one point, you kind of psych yourself out that you hear like a whoosh, but there's nothing to corroborate it. You don't sit, no creature attacks you. Nothing comes out of the shadows. Nothing, no sign of, you know, the metal chains. There's just, um, you know, just a little bit of something and then, and then you're done. Okay. Well, forward. I, uh, put the little cork thing in the top of it to plug it up and just hang onto the little stone handle on the side, kind of like a briefcase. Well, we got us a little light. I we, that uh, is an ingenious design. I think that is extremely. Oh, I thank you. I'm, I am quite the inventor myself <laughs> by I, putting stones and and lids of pots together. I I think that is quite ingenious. I like it a lot. Brilliance in its simpli- simplicity. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Uh, but yeah, we'll continue on stealthily. As you continue ascending uh, the outer wall of the city of Nowood, uh, you continue to pass by, um, you know, actual tangible evidence of the history that you've read about in your time in Hembley, who Alan, you, you pass by 
um, the, the, the great entertaining hall where the king was assassinated in the year 1034. You pass by the uh, barracks of their armed forces where the siege of Black Keep took place in the second era, um, a conflict between rival factions for control of half the city. You pass by a large, expansive, uh, it's not quite as big as the town hall, but it's like a big platform that juts out from the wall. Um, and you remember, oh yes, these were for the Festival of Stars, a week-long celebration in honor of Zanir, where you know music would be played and there was dancing and there would be feasting in the nearby buildings and you can see around them some kind of common buildings um, and, and little gazebos that, that would have held food, um, large stone grilling tables where you know there's a little divot in the middle for charcoal or, or for another kind of flame source and there would be a rack placed over top of that, though by now, of course, the, the stone or the charcoal or whatever the fuel is has gone away. Um, you can see the, the footsteps imprinted in the main staircase as you leave one district and go to another that indicate the, the heavy booted feet of the Hematitian armies on their way down to um, you know venture into the Underdark. Um, and then as you gaze up towards the plinth, which you are now almost even with, you, um, you can visualize the matriarch of the Hematitians uh, urging her citizens on to war, to glory, to, you know, to honor Zanir and his command to delve deeper. Um, and then as you, as, just as you come even with the plinth and you're about to get your, your first glimpse of Dew Bumblefoot and the state she's in, you get one last kind of flashback um, as a Hematitian uh, robed and coughing is urging, imploring, begging his fellow citizens to leave, to come to the new city they've established of Rustfree um, in, in the east. And for Owlin, it's a strange moment as you, a, a conqueror, a later conqueror of that city, watch as its inhabitants agree in, in massive numbers to flee a plague that was killing them in droves. Mm. Um, to to really understand on a tangible historical level that a city that you conquered existed as a refuge, um, and and to to kind of see the not you, you can't quite call it corruption. Um, it's not like you know someone was bought and that's why the A two army marched on on Rustfree and renamed it to Stainless. Um, but you can see the drive of like okay, our innovation came at the cost of these refugees home. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we needed the natural materials that were present in their area, so we drove them out. Um, and luckily for you, the city had been abandoned, but they didn't know that when they marched. Um, and mm -hmm. and so you kind of are reckoning with that, and you have this little flicker of that. And then you see the plinth, the town hall or the town square of No Wood. And the first thing you see is that uh, five large stone obelisks have been placed like great claws reaching out of the plinth, stretching upwards towards the sky. Um, and on the outside of them facing you, there are platforms uh, stacked above each other like a strange kind of shelf that are each about the size of those divine batteries that you could see at the Umbral Sea. Um, and stretching out from those stone teeth uh, or the stone claws, if you will, stretching out from that towards the center of the plinth are all kinds of crisscrossing lines with flowing script and languages that, if they are languages, you don't recognize them even with the benefit of comprehend languages coming from the rod. This is some kind really? of... Really? 
it, it's almost like instead of being written in an actual programming language, something was written in binary. It's like the core components of what magic are have been scribed on the ground here. Um, uh, some, somewhere between hieroglyphics and emojis <laughs> is what, what you're looking at here on the ground. Um, and, <laughs> and somebody's figured out the puzzle a little bit early. Yeah. And, um, and as they stretch towards the center, you can see that they form into one massive ring that um, you know creates this arcane circle. And at the center of that, completely still, um, laying on the ground, almost like in a petrified sort of stillness, is a young wheatling uh, woman who's you know wheat-colored uh, straw or straw or wheat-colored hair has kind of darkened to like a brown um, whose you know whose robe is in tatters whose arms are covered in scorch marks um, laying there just staring up not moving can we spot any shadow creatures any no Oh. How do you want to proceed? The whisper is still a whisper, but sounds as loud as a yell um, in the in the stillness. Um. Actually, um. Alan would like to take a moment and just like let's sit in that stillness have everyone be as quiet as possible and see if he can detect specifically any the last time we encountered one of these chaos creatures these one of these limbo creatures there was kind of early signs like sounds and feelings that seemed completely random mm. alan would like to like mm. settle into his environment and see if he can detect any of that make an insight check with advantage because you've you've got a kind of a taste of what what the experience is like already radford also has his pipe burning with incense still for what it's worth okay i rolled a two and a one so that's a four the advantage saved you from the one but you are not able to detect anything um out of the ordinary or amiss but it does smell nice because radford's got incense burning it's sandalwood from this distance can alan make out anything about um, an arcane sigil or an arcane circle on the ground and like what that might be constructing or you're about even with the circle. So like, while you okay. can tell it's there, you're not high enough above it to like read the runes. You know, you can maybe read one of the runes and that one you're confident is not the root spell. Like that is, you know, some kind of tweaking of, of the magic that's happening. Okay. Um, you said there were platforms above Josh. Oh, you mean like the wooden scaffolding? Like above the the circle. With I mean, the, you could keep going. Batteries. You could keep going. Oh, oh, so the circle has these teeth that are jutting up off of it, so straight up at the outer edge of the circle, and then on the other side of those, sticking out from the circle, are okay. little shelves that the Got the it. batteries could be on. Um, uh, Zopf, do you know if? Perhaps your owl could fly over top the sigil at a distance where you could see through its eyes and see if you Ooh. could discern the nature of the circle. Yeah. Hey, you could read it. Just uh, watch my body. I got you. And, and he puts him up on his on his pack. 
Zop will uh, go into the owl where he can see and hear from it and fly, staying within the 100-foot range um, above the circle. Okay, great. Uh, the owl flies up uh, over, you know, as high as it can, so about 90 feet maybe, um, and then out a little ways, maybe 10 feet. And so now you're kind of up at one corner of the circle. And owls are slow-moving creatures, so it's an agonizing couple of seconds as you wait for the owl to, like, swoosh its way up there. But as it looks down on the circle, you can see a few additional details. Uh, For one, there are three um, lines, almost, that stretch from Dew Bumblefoot's, uh, like, where, where she is. They kind of stretch out in, like, a peace sign, almost, to the edges of the arcane circle. Um outside of the circle where there are smaller magic circles that then extend out to the the fangs or the teeth or whatever that are sticking up um so there's some kind of secondary magic happening here um you are also able to determine that um the 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 circle is unoccupied with the exception of dew bumblefoot there's no one else on there that your owl can see and then you wanted to try and identify the magic Go ahead yes. and roll an Arcana check with... Uh, are you trained in Arcana? Yes. Okay, so just roll a normal Arcana check. 13. 13. Uh, you are not able to find where the circle starts, so you can't read the spell past there. Every now and then you recognize like a single little glyph or rune or whatever as like what it might do to a base spell, but without knowing that spell, you have no way of knowing like what exactly is happening. Um, and I can still talk in my body, so I just relay everything as I'm seeing it. Sure. The other thing that's really easy to see from the owl that maybe the others that you don't see as easily from the edge of the building is as the owl is flying up there, looking upwards, you can see, like now that the, you know, the top of the mountain is illuminated because it's, it's midday or, or, or late morning. Um, and so there's, you know, a bright light up there. And you can see projecting into that bright light the scale of stars. The scale of stars is not actually centered. It's you know offset on the edge of the, the cone of the mountain. But one of the pieces of the scales is extending out over that gap. And it's easily long enough to cover it halfway. So it almost casts this shadow um, that, that you know is moving around the building, almost like a sundial. Um, mm. the, the scale is probably 500 feet projecting over the, the, the opening, so you can assume it's about 1,000 feet across. And while you can't tell how big it is, it's big enough that from down here it has depth. Like, as the owl's wow. looking up at it, you're, you're probably still half a mile away, and you can tell that it's tall. So um, there's the scale of stars up there just kind of sticking out. Okay. Um, I'll revert back and how the owl, like, just... If there's somewhere for it to perch, just perch there and alert me if it detects any movement. Okay. Um, I think we just need to head up. I. You want to just go ahead? I, 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 I'm not sure whether the best strategy would be to. Part of me is tempted to simply settle in here find places where we can observe without being observed and wait to see what happens, to see if any shadow creatures make any appearances or 
if the longer the we wait, the worse it gets. Like if they know we're here, they could have already called for backup, or there's just like one here that's watching us that we can't find. Well, the most important thing is figuring out the the runes and deciphering the spell. Maybe we could just find a safe place and or find a defensible place, and you could just keep working it out. So, in that case, do we think maybe it would be advantageous to continue to climb higher on these edges to where we can have a vantage point where we can see from above the sigil or perhaps uh, periodically send your familiar to observe it um, to see if we can glean any more from it uh, and try to you know, suss it out and then from then continue from there I'm I'm not opposed to that idea I just it feels the longer we're here the worse it's gonna get to me it just feels wrong to just step out after we've done all of this do do any of you have any ability to approach the circle without being detected or would we just be I just I just fear we would be completely exposed I mean, with my, with my cloak, I'm harder to detect, and I can just kind of flutter above it, so I don't trigger anything on the ground. But that may be here. Here is here is another option if we want to act faster, but not give away our surprise. Perhaps Uzopf could approach and be harder to detect. Um, try to gain more information and even begin acting and. Uh, us two, Radford and I, could stay hidden until we, but stay vigilant, and if we notice things going wrong, that's when we spring. Does that sound appropriate, or? Okay. Sure. We'll cover you. So to be clear about your situation, uh, you're on the, the outer edge of the city, and then there is yep. Gap, and then there is the center, like, town hall, plinth, you know, statuette area. So... To get over there, like you'd have to find a way over there. Um, About how far is to, it? Oh, there's no bridge that we can see. Uh, there's no bridge that you can see yet. Oh, um, nobody's looked for it. There must have been a way for them to access this. Like your artificer's brain is like cannot yeah. handle the idea that they didn't have a way over there. But you haven't found the mechanism yet that would that would allow such a connection. The I distance see. Radford is somewhere in the realm of maybe 400 feet, something like that, three or 400 feet, because okay. you're, you know, wider at this point than the top of the of the city is, so. Well, then, perhaps first we look for an access point. Stay hidden, attempt to stay hidden while we do that, and then we engage that plan. I mean, where I have access regardless, but... This is true, you can fly. Um, but if you get in trouble, we can't get we to can't, you. Exactly. We can't get to you. So we, we so still find this access point. Find the access point. We don't necessarily have to engage it or use it when you when we send you. Yes. But from there, yes, I believe that should be the plan. Alan, if you want to make the investigation with advantage because you're an artificer and you kind of know how they think, that would be acceptable. And Wash okay. has a DM question. What's up? Um, how high would Radford need to go, just like looking up, before it, like, tapered in enough to get like over so you could just drop straight down kind of a thing 
drop straight down or, you know, just have like a bird's eye view. Like Radford is starting a- to think spatially, like he's going to be like running up stuff and jumping across things right. potentially. You he's trying get, to suss that area out. You could get a bird's eye view from about, you know, from where you could read the whole circle, but it's far away. So you'd need it to be lit by the sun overhead. Mm-hmm. You could go about 200 feet up, further up the wall, and you'd be high enough to look down and read the whole circle. To drop down onto the circle, you'd probably need to go another four or 500 feet up before okay. it's curved in that far. Okay, so that's not much of an option. Alan got a 25 on the investigation. Oh, pff, Alan. Let's go. Artificer Alan knows what he's looking for. Uh, <laughs> it starts out with a little bit of like, everybody search, and everyone kind of looks around for something until it becomes immediately apparent to Alan. You know, you're still on this this large sort of platform where like a festival might have been held or something like that. And at the edge of the platform, you realize that there are, uh, you know, a number of sort of like half height barricades that have been built so people don't fall and die awfully. Um, And you can see that one of them is slightly different than the others. It's like pushed lower in the ground. And as you walk over to it, you can see like, oh, yes, if I just lift this section of wall, it will trigger whatever mechanism has there's like a bridge hidden in the side of the mountain and so when you lift it up a bridge will extend out uh the hematicians were you know a a bold pioneering race created in the first era they were not necessarily well developed in terms of their innovation and their machinery this is probably stone on stone with stone wheels so you're not talking about something quiet as this bridge extends Mm -hmm. out to the center but of course they wouldn't have cared because it would have summoned people for whatever, you know, was going to be done from the, from the, the town square. Like that would have been a feature, not a bug. Um, so why would they have tried to solve it? But that would be the, the means that's available from here to get over there. Okay. Well, Alan will, will show that to the rest of the group and kind of, as we regroup, you know, reiterate the plan of Zopfa will fly over, try to stay undetected. Uh, Radford and I will keep watch. As soon as we notice something, we will signal and spring into action. All right. So, Zop, you're flying over to the magic circle? He is, but he's going to try and stick to the, the shadows and be as um, stealthy as possible. Okay. At high noon, the sun is shining straight down through the hole, which means it's tough for that intervening, like the airspace, it's tough to stay in the shadows. Roll a stealth with disadvantage to determine how hard you are to... to get. Actually, roll it at normal advantage because you're tiny and you have your cloak on. So just roll it normal. Roll it a normal stealth Roll check. it at normal vantage. Yeah, normal vantage. 18. <laughs> 18. That's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, pretty pretty good for a fly guy. That's the that's how that goes, right? <laughs> um, and mm-hmm. you, you kind of, you know, you're weaving and doing your best to avoid. Like we said, you know, the sun is, rather than being one big beam, it's hundreds of tiny beams that come through the plant cover. And so you're kind of weaving through those as best as you can, these sort of uh, volumetric pillars of air. I was just saying, the, the cloak probably blends into the vines pretty good. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then you, you make it to the plinth. Um, is your goal to, are you trying to go down to do, or are you trying to go to the edge of the circle? Like, where are you headed? You're now on this plinth, this, you know, three, um, 400 feet across um, yeah. stage. I want to get, like, try and piece together this, this circle before anything happens. Great. Uh, so let's have an Arcana check uh, to understand what's happening here. Uh, will a nine do it? No, it won't. Uh, <laughs> you're looking down, and it looks complicated. Man, that's the magic down there. 
Uh, you cannot use another Arcana check uh, at the moment, but you can try and justify another skill if you want to, to give it another Could go. Could I scribble it down on some paper to take back to Alan for him to help? Uh, like scribble a copy of it? Yeah. Sure. Make a... Um, are you trained in... Scribble check. Uh, I am not. Okay, make a dexterity check to see how well you can copy the the rune. Actually, you're a you're a paper like you're a paper pusher. That's your career. Yeah. Sure, uh, you're able to to jot down what the what the circle looks like and bring back. It's a, you don't know what it says, but you know, but it, you've copied it pretty well, um, and you're gonna fly it back to Alan. Uh, before I do, I want to. Can I make a perception check to see if there's anything we haven't noticed? You can't. I'm gonna area. I'm gonna add the last die to the attention pool. Roll your perception check. Cool. Oof. A modest 16. A modest 16. All right, with your perception check of 16, um, you do not see any other creatures in the area or anything that's going to attack you. As you're looking around, um, you can see, like, you're closer now, so you can definitely see more detail on Dew Bumblefoot. There, you know, those scorch marks kind of climbing up her arms and down her legs. Um, the, the, she has kind of like a tortured look on her face, like mouth open for a scream. Um, the, you know, her wings are kind of shredded and tattered. And then you can see that the circle, there are definite indications of charring around the magical lines. Like energy has been through this arcane circle and has, you know, has done damage to even the stone, the level of power that's gone through this circle. Um, you are not able to see any other details that are up there with you. But looking way, way, way down from where you are towards the, the bottom of the city, there are things you can see now that were not illuminated as well before because the sun wasn't up the whole way. Or maybe you passed over them in your early recon or whatever it is. But for whatever reason, you can now see looking down a little bit of a glint on the ground that indicates there's some wetness there that the light is reflecting back off of. Um, and those are the additional details that you can see. You head back okay. over to Alan without incident, but I am going to clear the six die in the tension pool. Oh, okay. Amazingly, there are no complications. Yay. Um, yeah, I go back to Alan and I hand him the piece of paper with the magic circle that I scribbled. Um, this is what it looks like. I couldn't figure it out. Interesting. Uh, I will see if I can suss out any of it and Alan will I mean is your plan to just take as long as it takes to identify it or are you trying to do other things and this is just part of your plan uh uh, maybe not take if it takes an unreasonable amount of time then here's what I'll offer you either way you're gonna roll an arcana check yeah Uh, if your plan is to take as long as it takes then um every five on your arcana check is an hour of time passed uh, if instead you want to try and decipher it quickly, you can roll with the potential of failure with the high DC to understand what the what the thing is. Um, but every time you fail, I'm going to add a die to the tension pool. Can I, I assist? See. No. Okay. <laughs> no. Uh, the goal is to is to decipher it quicker. Okay. I'm so. keeping an outlook. Gosh dang it, that's a 10. Ooh. That's a 10. Alan's looking down at the paper and trying to figure out what what he sees here. And so you're not looking up and you don't see the first indication that the weather has changed. 
almost as if some outward entity summoned it from nowhere, <laughs> a freak hailstorm begins. And shards of ice, loud, echoing shards of ice ringing, you know, around, thunderously ringing around the cone, which is basically just channeling the sound in this huge echo chamber. Um, a, an experience which wait, Jake oh is no, intimately wait, familiar no, wait, with. Wait, no, wait, no, wait, no, wait, no. Wait, for the Rod of Intelligence. Can slamming I, down towards you. Yes, the Rod of Intelligence, what? Can I re-roll or does it have to roll again. beforehand? You can roll okay. again, but here's the tension roll for your first failure. Okay. Uh, okay. So, well, the rod lets you re-roll him a number intelligence checks a number of oh, times a day. Is what he was asking. I see. That's what you meant. You meant can you like use that ability to re-roll it? Yeah. Sure. Yep. I'll clear thanks. this tension die. And All you right. Can roll thanks. Again. Yep. Uh, let's pretend I said nothing. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> so either way, that one's a fail. Yep. <laughs> Jeb's uh, little head pops out. He's like, no. Oh, and this time it's a complication. <laughs> uh, things are worse. Uh, I'm not going to let them be worse when you use your super cool magic power. So that's fine. The first, the okay. first tension die is is not a complication. Um, All right. Well, Alan is stumped. Hail <laughs> is slamming down towards you. You may roll another check to try and decipher it. It's only been like five minutes now. You okay, know what I mean? Okay. That's what I'm saying. So the the risk reward here is time. So okay, he'll try. One, he'll try. He'll try again. Okay. It's what okay, the heck? guys. This. What'd you no, roll? that's an eight. I did two worse. It's an eight. Uh, another failure as the tension in the room mounts, you begin to feel like uh, you're hearing weird voices just kind of like whispering around the cave, but it might just be carried in the awful noise of this hail slamming around you. As the hail is raining down, you can see that unimpeded, it's slamming into that magic circle. And so there are big like hailstones that are just bouncing off of Dew Bumblefoot right now. Um, where where she appears to be trapped, and there's you know the landing on the ground beneath. You begin to hear the sound of splashing from way down at the bottom, rather than uh, an indication that they are hitting stone at the bottom of the city. They seem to be hitting liquid of some kind. Alan is gonna third tries the charm. This is it. This is the one he says. No, it's not actually. Why? The, what? The, what is going on? Uh, Alan again fails, and we roll another tension die. Uh, the okay. situation continues to mount. Radford's got a hand up. Um, upon hearing this, the splash, does Radford like? Can I like scope the ground, like in the corners of the rocks and the crevices? Does he detect any grime or slimy residue? Yes, yes, he does. Hey, boss. I don't, uh, this is probably what broke Owlin's concentration this last time. There's an abolith down here somewhere. It's probably down at the bottom in the Underdark. Ah, that... Um, and he's like... The rain continues... his fingers the, together. The hail, I should say, continues slamming down through... Because the, the, the whole city is shaped like a cone, it's not actually hitting you. You know, and you can see mm -hmm. it's well illuminated by the little beams of light coming down. Um, although those are obviously dimmed and grayed by the clouds. Um, you can see the hail, some of it again slamming into that plinth, more of it slamming down. Uh, you're starting to hear more splashing and less stone. Is the if, if we peer down, does it look like the water is rising? It does. It looks yeah, like the okay. bottom five feet of the city are fully submerged now, and the water is continuing to climb towards you. You are obviously, you're a good half a mile up. It's not rising very fast. But okay, uh, Alan is gonna hand the the drawing back to uh, Zopf. 
Zop, if you want to take another stab at it, you may. I would love to. Okay. I, I am sorry. I, I am... I, for some reason, cannot make heads or tails of it. It is not your fault. <laughs> um, I'm guessing a 13 won't do it. No, it won't. Yeah, that was rolled before. I, nope, okay. still no complication. Dang. Uh, with, with the rising water and the potential imminent threat of an abolith, while you try one more time, I think it's time for us to do what we do worst and <laughs> go ahead and just go and figure out what the hell is going on over there. And Alan will uh, signal to the like everyone that he's going to engage the big stone bridge. <laughs> okay. Will an 18 do it? An 18 will do it as Owlin hits the button or, or really lifts the button off of being depressed, you know, lifts up this section of walls. Yeah. His, his artificer or his barbarian muscles kind of flexing lifts it up. You hear this loud that reverberates throughout the cavern, even louder than the hail splashing incessantly in the rising water beneath you. And the ground beneath you begins trembling. The whole plinth feels almost like it's going to drop off of the wall as this bridge, this this massive stone bridge is extended on rough wheels of stone that are not perfectly smoothed. Um, it just kind of begins to stretch out of the wall. Impressively, their machinery still works after who knows how many thousands of years. Um, but the, the, uh, the bridge continues reaching out uh, towards the front and as that's happening, Zopf has a breakthrough. Zopf, it's a fifth level evocation. Uh, the foundational spell is Wall of Force. Mm. Um, and that's the, like, obviously the circle is doing more to it. And you don't decipher all of it, but you see a lot of things that look like they belong in, like, you know, books that nobody reads. Uh, you're, you're seeing some indications that there's some some damage of most types of magic in there. You know, evocation is the kind of magic you would use um, to to like you know an eldritch blast is an evocation, um, things like that. So so you're seeing generated natural damage in there, lightning and fire and ice. You're seeing fail safes where if one of the runes fails, the other runes explode. You're seeing all kinds of stuff um, built on top of this, but at its core, it's a wall of force. Okay, Zop will relay this to Alwyn as we're moving across. Um, as you follow the bridge, are you staying at the end of the bridge closest to the plinth, or are you waiting for it to extend and then sprinting across? Alan will wait for it to extend. He doesn't want to, like, like this is old, old, old machinery. He doesn't want to, like, stand at the edge of it and, like, egg it on to fail in some way. Great. It takes about ten minutes. Ten Holy cow agonizing minutes as this thing slowly reaches for the center plinth. Well, and then in the that water case, is I'll, climbing. Uh, that the, is tough. The water makes That's it tough. up probably the first 50 feet of the uh, of the city and then with a bone jarring thud that you feel in your ribs and it kind of you know, wavers through both plinths, the, the, the town square and the, the area you're standing on. The bridge slams in and you can actually hear the stone edge like click into something waiting for it and the bridge stops moving and the hail continues slamming down and the the sound getting louder and louder the bridge is out there the water is climbing radford has a hand up yes radford um seeing that it's moving so slowly could we have like jumped onto the bridge and rode it over sure um and when it's wide enough that when it impacts at the other end it's not going to shake you off but i do want a strength safe to keep your feet 
Um, yeah, that I, I I probably would have said differently if I knew it was going to take ten minutes. I think that was the. That's fine. Yeah, I'm flying. Okay, well then you don't need to make a strength save to keep <laughs> your feet. Um, but you are 16. flying. Okay, sixteen uh, is enough. Seventeen is enough. All of you make it over there. You do take five points of hail damage as you move into this mm. massive freak hailstorm that came from nowhere. Um, the 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 bridge connecting beneath you you can hear the stones thudding 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 into the water beneath the hail is falling heavily enough that it's starting to dislodge little like you know not it's not breaking any of the actual structures but loose pebbles that were already loose are getting pushed off of the town square and like dislodged down to the ground um you now are standing there again in front of you the teeny tiny body of dew bumblefoot at the center of this uh arcane circle maybe a foot and a half from head to toe and then the the magic circle you've got the the fangs or the claws reaching out of the the town square and zop has a hand up yes zop okay so i'd like to use one of my oceans but first i want to know what the process of editing the circle would be to a different spell uh, it would be the series of checks we talked about already okay with a you would have to justify a skill to me and if you can't justify a relevant skill then you wouldn't be able to attempt it okay um I was thinking using an Arcana skill because oh. um, I will be using or creating a rune of a spell that I know. Do you have a tool or some implement with which you can modify the runes that are written in the ground? I have my emerald pen with infinite ink. Sure, you can use that to give it a try. Um, the DC is going to be high. <laughs> you're sketching over a, it. <laughs> you're trying to use a pen to etch something into stone. That's going to be that's going to be pretty challenging. Um, but I'll let you try it. Um, okay. You're trying to modify a fifth level evocation spell, Wall of Force. What are you trying okay. to turn it into? A uh, teleportation circle. Which is a what level, oh. what what school? Uh, conjuration. Okay, conjuration and what level? Um, fifth level? Good, yeah, fifth that's level. good, that's okay, good. Okay, great. So, uh, and is it, it's conjuration and it's a different spell. So that's two checks you need to succeed on before the work here is done. That's um, a good thing it's not another level because that would have been three checks. Because you are, because you are taking the lead on this, if Alan wants to assist you with his artificer's tools, I will let you roll it with advantage. Yes. Okay. Alan will definitely assist in that and kind of, in like, you know, recommend Radford kind of is just vigilant <laughs> while okay. we then do this. The, the Radford. Ocean would be sorry no that's fine we no, trigger you go an ocean ahead. you're here. doing the thing go ahead okay. we're in the past the oceans would be used at the campfire that night he would have scribbled his teleportation circle like at where we had camp and oh so yeah when he does when he does <laughs> oh it so here, smart it's gonna teleport us back to where we camped okay uh roll an arcana check that's the skill we'll use for your your circle back there. The DC to beat here with no pressure and in a spot where you're not modifying anything is much lower. Okay. That is with advantage of 14. Oh yeah, easy. You're able to scribe out the arcane circle, no problem at all. And as you remember that confidently in your mind, you flash back to the present where you're going to attempt to create this new uh, this new circle. Everybody roll initiative. Oh my. As an inhuman growl rings around the space you're in. <laughs> Eleven. Five. Twenty-two. Nice. No, twenty-three. Even nicer. 
Allen, 11. 24. Zopf no, was a kidding. 5. Radford was a 22. 23. 23. 24. Okay. <laughs> 25. Um, okay, we're in we're in turn order here. Allen and Zopf are working together, so you'll both use Allen's initiative of 11 unless you're, you know, broken out of what you're doing. Okay. Um, the uh, So Radford's there, and I need to uh, roll a couple things here for some other initiatives. No, you don't need Radford to. tightens up his belt, like the big, yeah, he's, he's got like a big thing around his waist that kind of like holds on his gourd and, and his, uh, um, it, his roll. His, and he, oh, sorry. He slides down the top of his uh, vest, so like his chest is exposed, and you can see there's this big sprawling black tattoo up the right side, or sorry, up the left side of his chest that reaches down to his shoulder. It looks like this, um, like like a claw, like a big stretched out hand that lies like resting on his shoulder and and comes down to to his heart. And as he takes his place, uh, Radford is the first one to see something happening. Owlin and Zopf are both maybe bent over the foundational rune of this arcane circle. The hail slamming down upon you deals another five hit points of hail damage this round as we enter our, our turn-based combat and looking up through the hail towards the sun um, Radford, you see like a little, a little flash of something, a little flicker of something move across. And then you see in the darkness next to one of those shafts of light, you see the hulking form of a shadow creature diving towards you, chains flaring behind its body as it takes a ready position. This is the only one with a higher initiative than you. And it, as it's falling towards you, um, right as you take up a ready position to attack it, um, it disappears from your view and appears right behind you. It's going to attack you with its chain. This is a roll to hit. That's a 23 to hit. That hits. Okay, it's going to hit you with its chain. I'll roll damage. We're rolling stone dice tonight, a gift of my father's to me. We will blame him for our deaths. Yeah, you can blame him for the 11 points of slashing damage that the chain does as this one is swung across you. So it kind of swings across your chest with a swing. Um, And then as a bonus action, it's going to attack you with its second chain. This is a roll to hit. Oh, that was almost a four, but landed on an 18 on the die, which is going to be a 21 to hit for the second attack. That hits. It deals 13 points of damage, uh, this time force damage as it goes for like a hit straight to your chest. It's basically forcing the chain towards you the same way it would have killed the previous member of the Society of the Silver Sky. Um, And that brings us to Radford's turn in the combat order. Radford, you've got 90 seconds or so. He uh, plants his foot out in front of him and spins around um, to face towards this creature. And um, you see the, the, the tattoo in his arm surge down the length of his hand. Um, and he is going to slash out at it in this big manifested, dark, almost cold... Um, energy claw just 
across him. Um, that's going to do... Da, 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 27 to hit with my Eldritch Claw. 27 to hit's going to do it. Uh, what kind of damage is it? Cold damage. Cold damage, okay. I think it's cold damage. Uh, no, it says force damage. Okay, you hit it with force damage. All right. That is... Five, ten, eleven points of bludgeoning damage from... Or slashing damage from the claw. And then three damage... Force damage okay. on top of that. The claw slashes across the creature. And it almost feels like... Like you clearly... It's, it's corporeal and you hit it and you do damage to it. But it also feels like the claw doesn't meet enough resistance. Like you fly through it really fast... And as it does, it tears an actual piece of shadow out of the creature. And as that piece of shadow is flung to the ground, it dissipates in a sort of a little poof. And you hear a fluttering of wings as a, a whole group of butterflies just emerge out of the landing point and then kind of disappear and vaporize into air. The creature gives an inhuman like growl and, and kind of shrieks ah, and looks towards you with hatred in its deep, dark eyes, black on black. Anything else in your turn? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We know we're not old man's doing it. We're not <laughs> we're not done yet. Um, and I'm going to flurry of blows. Um, two more attacks at him. Okay. That's really good. That's a twenty to hit, not a uh, unnatural twenty. Okay. And a seventeen to hit. The twenty hits. The seventeen does not. All right. And then that is 11 points of damage. One of them is force. Okay. Um, and then uh, he's going to, like, like through this motion, he's going to, like, dance his way back. Like, do these crazy little, almost drunken steps. Okay. And, and break away from him um, about 30 feet. Great. Uh, so Radford hits him with this claw and then hits him with a fist and then kind of dances backwards to get away. Or maybe two fists. Was that two flurries? They were all three with the maul. I can okay. do it with any attack now. Got it. Okay. So you just like beat him up with this maul and then kind of dance back away from him. Each time a little piece of shadow is torn off or punched through or whatever from the creature, each time it evaporates into a different uh, sensation. At one point you smell freshly baked bread. Another time you hear uh, like a hellhound barking and snarling as the, the shadow pieces disappear into the chaos energy that created this creature. Um, and that's going to conclude Radford's turn and it's going to bring us to... Uh, two more shadow creatures, which leap. Oh, go ahead. I have multi-attack now, so I get one more hit. I'm sorry. That's fine. Oh, that's a 26 to hit. Well, that's going to do it. And that's another three plus six. That's another nine points of damage. Another nine points of damage. You absolutely just rip chunks and chunks out of this thing. At one point, you feel like you're about to sever its arm at the shoulder, and it kind of reforms, like more shadow stretches out. Mm. But you've you've done enough damage that you can see the creature gets thinner as the, the chaos energy inside is kind of spread out to rebuild the form that it's attacking you with. Mm. Um, so you are like, you're, you're doing damage. This would be the equivalent of having drawn first blood. Uh, in this fight. Um, you, you've kind of done a little bit around half its hit points as you slash through it one more time before dancing back to safety. 
Um, then you hear the answering growls of two more of the creatures as they leap from the left and right side of the plinth. One of them swings its chain around the one of the, the big like upward obelisks, the teeth or the claws jutting out of the edge, uses that to pull itself down and lands crouched like a gargoyle on it, watching intently over the whole fight. The other creature comes towards you, and then right as it looks like it's about to engage you in a fight, it instead uses a teleport ability, and it appears uh, like opposite you and towards Zopf and Owlin. Um, it has not engaged them in a fight yet. It's just landed there, and it appears to be readying an attack. Both of them seem to have, have kind of delayed their combat actions for the moment. And that brings us to Owlin's turn. Uh, Owlin and Zopf are working together, so... Um, maybe if you guys want to alternate who's rolling or something like that. I too. was about to say, if we have to make two checks, then Alan would gladly take one of them, and he would make the argument for um, if he could use investigation on his role, because his goal here is to investigate and find the specific parts of the of the circle that he can easily make the least amount of changes, but to change the most about the spell. So he's investigating for those points where he can use his artificer's tools like kind of the shortest distance between two points on these runes that he can modify. I will totally accept that. So Alan can roll investigation, uh, and Zopf can roll um, Arcana or whatever skill yes. you had you had justified. Yeah. Okay. Great. Dirty dirty twenty on okay. Alan's. Uh, Alan, as he's investigating, identifies the right point and begins carving out the rune. But something happens. Maybe his artificer tools slip. Maybe he realizes he has the wrong implement chosen or something like that. But he's going to have to try again in the next round. You've found the spot no. you need, and you can roll it with advantage next time. But you did not okay. successfully alter the spell. Zop, what did you roll? 18. 18. Zop has a similar situation where, like, you already know where the root of the spell is. But it's hard to do this with a pen. You're, like, trying to ch- You don't need it to go deep. It just needs to be deep enough to leave a groove in the stone. So it can be done with a pen but it's going to be challenging and you haven't quite hit the end of that, that challenge point. Um, and so that brings us to the final shadow creature in initiative order, which is going to appear in a burst of hail right next to Radford. And it's going to attempt to engage Radford in a grapple Radford acrobatics or athletics as it tries to wrap its chain around you and imprison you. <laughs> Saving throw, right? Yes. Well, I, it's acrobatics Toy. or athletics. Oh, uh, well, oh, yeah, acrobatics. Uh, well, that's the same thing. 21. Yeah, okay, 21's going to beat its 18. Uh, so it, it takes a swing at you, but Radford is easily able to dodge out of the way. Radford is in his zone right now between the mall and he's already danced away from the other combatants, so he knows his surroundings. And so as this creature swings a chain to try and ensnare you, Radford is able to jump out of the way without hitting you with the chain. It can't get the bonus attack for a second chain, so it's not going to do that. Uh, and that brings it to the end of its turn and up to the top of initiative with the first shadow creature, the one who's been fighting Radford. It kind of sets its feet, growls, and you can see its hands erupt in claws, way more claws than it should have fingers, probably 10 or 11 of them as it leaps towards you, 10 on each hand, I should say, as it leaps towards you, kind of these swirling hands, uh, they, they almost look like the teeth of a shark or something like that as they come closed, trying to just encase that maul that uh, Radford's been using to hit it. Um, it's going to roll to hit. And it rolled a 14, which is, I'm sure, not enough. Nope. 
Okay, so it attacks you, but Radford, again, dances dexterously out of the way of it. Um, it's going to use its teleport ability um, and disappear into another shadowy spot as the hail continues falling. Also, as this is the beginning of a new round, everybody takes five points of hail damage. Um, as the, the hailstorm continues slamming down into you, you notice that even the shadow creatures are having little bits of them ripped off and erupting into you know the sight of a boat quickly roaring over the waves before it dissolves into dust or into the sounds of... Um, you know, some kind of strange arcane engine humming with energy or all kinds of different things. Um, and the, so it's, it's now attempting to hide from you. It's rolled a stealth check. And that brings us to Radford's turn. Okay. So paint me a picture. Where are we on the battlefield? Radford, you're standing near, but not close enough to run to them this round to... Um, oh, I can run Alan. to them. Well, okay, maybe as a monk. Um, but a normal <laughs> creature would not be an immediate distance of them. There are f- uh, four shadow creatures engaged in the fight. You know where one of them is. It's right behind you trying to grapple you with a chain. You know that there is another crouched on top of one of the, the pillars or the obelisks at the edge of the stage, and it has not entered the fight as far as you can tell. It's delaying an action or waiting for something in particular to happen. Another is standing about equidistant between Zopf and Owlin. It's clearly worrying about those two and not looking at you. And the final fourth one is hiding and will require a perception check to find. Okay, and the one that's behind me is not the one that I pummeled. No, the one you pummeled is hiding now. Okay. Um, I'm going to... Radford is bleeding quite profusely from, from these claw marks and especially that hail bash um, he's going to take a stance and collect his key, and I'm going to use quickened healing and get back some HP. Excellent. That's not as much as I wanted, but we're going to take it. Um, and then he's going to use a bonus action, burn a key point for patient defense. And da, 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 that would actually bring me down to that. And he's going to make his way to the one that is in between Owlin and uh, Zop. Okay. And just like engage it, like just post up. Got it. So it's, he's ready so that dark if eyes, it moves, black on he black gets to deal with it. Follow your, your progress, and you're certain you've got its attention. Uh, that ends. How far away is he from it? Uh, he's probably... He's got like, 45 feet of movement. Oh, yeah. He's probably like 20 feet away. Close enough. Immediate okay. distance for his next turn. Could um, he be 15 feet away from Sure. <laughs> That's fine okay. with me. Yeah. Nice. Um, thank, thank you, DM. You're thank welcome. Thank you, DM. You're welcome. Thanks. Appreciate uh, that, DM. The, <laughs> the, the next two uh, shadow creatures are going to take their turns. One of them is staring right at Radford, and as Radford comes towards it and it appears to engage it in the fight, it clearly is like, all right, I'll take that bait, and it drops into a crouch, propels itself forwards, and flings both chains out as one attack. This is its multi-attack. It's going to roll to hit you twice with each uh, once. With it's going to do that with disadvantage because of his patient defense. Okay, here's the first roll with disadvantage. 
okay, that's a t- uh, that's an eight, I should say, on the first roll. So that's not going to do it. Here's the second roll at disadvantage. With disadvantage, that's a... Oh, come on, dude. Do math. It's a 17. Oh, 17 is my AC. Mm, and the attacker wins in the tie. So one chain still thuds right into Radford and deals 15 points of damage, all force damage. Radford, roll a strength check to keep your feet as it's going to try and push you backwards away from the the two that you might be protecting. Strength save, you said? Yes. 22. Radford doesn't even get pushed back, much less have to worry about keeping his feet. The chain hits you and it hits you hard. But uh, you know what? That's cool. Uh, roll a <laughs> dexterity save to grab the chain. That's pretty dope. That is a 15 plus 9. So like 24? 24, easily. And with a 24, not only do you grab the chain, you clock the poison spikes on the end of it and grab it somewhere else. And so you don't nice. have to make the con save against poison. And you know that at least this one and probably all of them have poison tipping the, the um, spikes of their chains. Oof. They're poisoned. Don't let them hit you. <laughs> uh, okay, so you're if holding I, on. If I draw the line here, I think <laughs> I can make. <laughs> yeah, you're holding on to the chain. The other one that's turn it is, is going to rush towards Zop, who it now has re- like realized, oh, what they're trying to do is alter the circle. That won't do. So he's going to teleport off of the, um, the, the statue or the, the tower that he's on. He's going to appear directly in front of Zop. And he's not going, it's not like a coordinated attack. It's like he's going to try and whip the chain out to knock you away from the circle. Zopf, you are tiny, so he's going to roll this attack with disadvantage, uh, or size category small, I should say. So he's going to roll this attack with disadvantage. um, And let's see how he does. That's a 10 to hit. Does he hit you? Miss. You're muted. It It misses. It misses you. Okay, so he attacks you, but it swings right over your head. You feel a brief respite from the hail as this chain swirls through the hailstorm, um, and the wind of it, you know, brushes against your wings. But you are like bent over the almost like the oh look a penny kind of gag joke, yeah. where it, like you know it whips over your head where you might have been if you were a little taller. Um, <laughs> and because it didn't hit you with the first attack, it gets no bonus attack. We move on to Owlin and Zop, who are both trying to do their do their I, thing. I, I think I've I think I've found it. I just need to make the marking. Um, could I switch to a knife instead of the pen? Absolutely. Um, you can still roll normally, Trevor. Uh, Jake, go ahead and roll with advantage because Alan's got his artificer's tools and he's now like he's at the right spot. He's pulling out the you know he's going to do the thing. Eighteen. Eighteen. Uh, Alan has the right tool out, but now it's the hail and the fact that there was a fight right over Zopf that distracted him briefly. He looks up and sees that. What is this insane DC that a dirty 20 and an 18 couldn't get? That's what I'm wondering. I'll be transparent about the DC because it is like a make or break moment. The DC is a 21. I kid you not. Uh, um, and Zopf did not do it. Uh, okay. Zopf didn't get it either. So that brings us to the final shadow creature. The one that is hidden is going to stay hidden. Um, We don't know what it's doing because none of us can see it, and it hasn't attacked any of you. Brings us to the top of initiative order. As we get to the top of initiative order, you hear the sound of the hail begin to drain out 
um, and you get the sense that this is the end of that freak storm, or as it's blowing over, this is the the last round that you'll have to deal with it. Um, five more points, actually yeah. four points, of, four points of damage as the hail is slowing down in pace, um, and you also hear you know the clattering of the hail landing in the water below. You haven't checked in a while. You don't know how high up that water is, but the hail has stopped falling in it, and now you can begin to hear the trickling, bubbling noises of water slowly, slowly climbing the inside of the um, the inside of the city as this this abandoned city is flooded. It's going to bring us to the top of initiative order, where um, Radford is holding. You're holding his chain, so Radford, I'll actually let you go first. Um, um, I want to try and like Mario and King Bowser this guy off of the edge, just like fling him by his chain. Yeah, just like swing him around a couple times and throw him and let him loose. Okay, uh, you can use athletics if you're trained in it, or strength if you're not. I don't want to do that then. <laughs> <laughs> you can try and justify another skill if you want. Uh, no, that's fine. Okay, it, it would have been fun, but yeah, he he needs to stay in his wheelhouse. He he's like, oh man, it's like if I was lane, Alan, buddy, stay in your lane. If I was Alan, I would have totally done that, and it would have been rad. Um, Ferd. Instead, he's going to um, he's gonna like drop the chain and run up it and just kick this dude. Oh, right clean in the, in the face. face. Love yeah. it. Uh, okay, go ahead and roll the hit. You can roll with advantage because you were already, like, you've got a ramp right to the creature. So it's not like it's going to dodge out of your way. 29. Easy. Um, and when he does kick, the tattoo sucks up into his arm and goes down his leg and out his leg and whoom, kicks across this guy before he even gets there. It's got a 15-foot range. It just reaches out and just across him and that is going to be four plus oh that's 10 points of damage and then i'm going to flurry a blow well do my second for the sake of flavor is this a roundhouse kick or a side kick like are you kicking straight or across he's doing the thing where it's like he comes at it from the side and then spins around from the back and then does another kick and it's like just like one two three four yeah 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 Love that. So he almost makes like a little um, tornado of Radford spinning around. Yeah, his, exactly. His shadow creature. As this, uh, as his like his uh, his maul is just like whipping out around it. Yeah, that's a twenty-nine to hit. Easy, I rolled a nineteen. Easy, easy. Um, and then I'm just gonna run through the next ones. Uh, that's a thirteen to hit. Okay. Does that one hit? No. Um. I can dump key points into my attacks to make them hit. Okay. Uh, uh, so I am going to... Where is that one? Ba, 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 ba. So you've done like 20 points of damage already, haven't you? Something like that? I haven't rolled damage yet. Oh, no, I did. I did. The first one damage. was 10. And then the second one... Yeah, let me roll the damage on the second one. Though. Oh, wow. That's, that's 8 plus 6... Okay, so, so that's 24 14. so far. Yep, 24 so far. 14. And, oh, that's a natural 20. Natural 20, let's go. Ooh. So I roll double dice, right? Yeah, you do. So that's 4d6. That's 10, 14, plus 6. So 20 points of damage. So you've done, f- you've done 50 points of damage so far. 
Uh, how's he looking? <laughs> uh, as, you, as you land that final kick, you actually feel the give in the center of the creature as the whole thing bursts into limbo energy. Um, you are briefly surrounded by chaotic manifestations. Make a dexterity save. Can he try to, like, absorb some of it? Uh, you mean, like, take control? Like, like, yeah, like, through his key? Can he, like, latch on to that energy? Uh, to try and manifest it into something new? To try to manifest it into his maul. Oh, I see. To, like, keep it and use it as damage later? Um, yeah. No, because I didn't build that mechanic and I don't want to unbalance it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I have no a mechanic <laughs> for trying to reform them into something new, um, but I, I don't have one for trying to absorb that energy. Okay, no worries. No worries. I tried. You said a deck save? Yeah, deck save. Uh, 18. 18. You don't take any damage, but you can feel the heat of a fire juxtaposed with the cold of ice right next to the sound of a thunderclap exploding as you kind of dive out of the, the field of, of explosion here. Talk to us about his cool hero landing, and then we'll move to the next turn. I was going to say, he, he lands with his back to it and does that thing where he's just kind of like looking to the side with his with his arms at rest to each side and does like the the big neo breath in and exhale into his stance and then he forms up and like turns to the next one yep he forms up and turns to the next one which happens to be on the other side of zop from you um and it's going to take its turn now there are two of them between uh or no that was one of the ones between so this is the only one before owlin and zop have another go um i just want to make sure i'm i'm moved like near them so yep. just however in a position to get close yeah, to Yeah, you position yourself so you're ready to you're ready to go. Um, this one's going to take another shot at knocking Zopf back. So it's going to roll to hit. It has the same disadvantage because Zopf is teeny. And rolls to hit. Oh, that was almost a natural 20. That one at the bottom is a natural 20, but the other one's a natural oh, one. So Ooh, it rolls a natural one. Disadvantage. Uh, it attacks Zopf and um, its chain swings out far enough that Radford has another dex chance to grab it. Uh, I was going to say, can and, I and grab it? Now. <laughs> yep, that's the, that'll be the nat one punishment. Um, that's a 13 plus 9, 22. 13 plus 9, 22. As Radford's hand swings out and grabs hold of it. If this, if this acts like an attack towards Radford, um, could I use my reaction to throw it back at him? Yeah, that's amazing. It's like he's technically it would be like a deflect missile. Yeah, Radford flows through a couple steps of like a martial arts form where he catches it, spins around, and returns the chain at force. Natural twenty, baby. Let's go. Natural twenty as the chain zooms back towards the shadow creature. Um, I think it's the damage of whatever that thing is. Uh. Oh, okay. Do you roll or does the attacker roll? If you catch the missile in this way, you can. Nah, 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 this got a range. With you attack with the weapon. Um, nah, 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 you make this attack with proficiency, regardless of your weapon. Okay, so so I'll make an attack back at him. Well, and I did the natural twenty. Okay, and so, it counts as a monk weapon. So you're gonna so. roll two d10 and two d8. Nice. Because it's a d10 and a d8 is the the normal attack. There that you is go. a lot of damage. Nice. 
I know, he says, and he's got like <laughs> like scratches all across him. <laughs> um, that is eight. Help me out, guys. That is a nine plus seven. Okay. Sixteen. Plus seven. Uh, twenty-three. Let's go, chat. Plus three. Chat redeems hit harder, which 26. I think doubles your damage. Uh, plus, okay, so that's 26 plus his proficiency bonus. So he gets the, the 5 plus 1. So that's an extra 6 damage on top of that. So okay. it's 64. <laughs> 64 damage. <laughs> <laughs> so remember, this is all attacks. Hero and villain deal double damage. But Radford just dealt 64 points of damage to the shadow creature as he throws the chain back and it just explodes through the center of the creature. The chain itself dissolving into like a burning ring of fire that, you know, goes down, down, down and the flames go higher. Uh, (laughs) um, (laughs) Nice. And and it just dissipates in this wave of shadowy energy and you have this brief moment of silence and stillness where the only remaining shadow creature is hidden stealthily and we zoom in on (laughs) Sop and Owlin who are still hunched over over their tools trying desperately to alter this arcane circle from the outside uh wait nope it was actually over here that is where i should have drawn that line i got a natural 20 this time let's go Uh, there we go and alan got a 24 both of you let's go spurred on by the the incredible carnage that radford is (laughs) single-handedly wreaking against the shadow creatures you easily re uh, well easily it took you three rounds but you <laughs> now that the hail stopped which was probably you know your hands were shaking in the hail obviously you had no issues uh, yeah. you are able to both of you alter the circle into a circle of teleportation and I need to look up that spell really quick just to make sure I fully understand it um, this spell instantly transports you and up to eight willing creatures of your choice that you can see within range or a single object you can see within range to a destination you select. If you target an object, it must be able to fit entirely inside a 10-foot cube, and it can't be held or carried by an unwilling creature. This is... What, what spell are you reading? Teleport? It's oh, that's teleportation a, circle. Yeah, I see. I was like, wait, this is 7th level. Uh, okay, teleportation circle. Uh, as you cast a spell, you draw a 10-foot diameter circle on the ground with sigils that link your location to a permanent teleportation circle of your choice whose sigil sequence you know and that is on the same plane of existence as you. And that's at our at our campsite. The shimmering portal opens within the circle you drew and remains open until the end of your next turn. Any creature that enters the portal instantly appears within five feet of the destination circle in the nearest unoccupied space if that space is occupied. Many major... Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then there's stuff about those. Yeah. So um, any creature can enter the circle and appear yeah. on the other side, and it brings your possessions uh, or things you're holding. But I can dismiss it at any time. Right. Um, okay. So you both get it right, and you feel yourselves get it right, because suddenly, instead of being powered by wingle digits or whatever they had to bring to activate this thing in the past, Owlin, you feel the surge of energy come out from the rod that mm. um, you know, you, you've got. I don't know if you're holding it or if it's strapped to you or whatever. It's, but it's feel, always on my belt. But you feel the surge of energy kind of jump down from there as the weave activates it. The teleportation circle glows a sudden shimmering silver uh, as it shines in front of you and you actually hear like a, a soft sort of like um, 
metallic, like kind of tinging noise as the, the magic kicks back into action. The stone underneath creaks from all of its scorch damage and stuff as the magic is activated. Critically, from the outside of the teleportation circle, you notice that Dew Bumblefoot does not teleport. Um, the the uh, Dew Bumblefoot was, remember, laying kind of like petrified, almost screaming, looking up towards um, the scale of stars. Dew Bumblefoot's arms and legs have fallen flat, but she is not moving. Um, and that's what you see as the two of you finish those turns. And uh, you, I guess you technically have move actions before we, we jump I say, forwards. If Alan can spend his move, he'd like to pick up Dual Bumblefoot and step through the portal that okay. appears. Dew is on the ground at the center of the portal, but you can leap over there and, and grab her, sure. Um, oh, like she's in the middle of the portal, but still not teleporting? The portal is on the ground. It's like right, a big the portal is a circle on the ground, oh. Alan. So. Okay, well then Alan's, yeah, Alan's just going to try to like sort of jump through it and take Dew with, basically. Sure, yeah. like, so you, like basically you like It's like a dive yeah. almost, like a swan dive through yeah. uh, Dew Bumblefoot. So you leap, you wrap your arms around what you now feel is a cold body, uh, and Ooh. you pass through the, the teleportation circle, landing with a thud on the, the ground, right? Because you're, you're now dropping a little yeah. bit of like a thud on the ground and kind of rolling out of the teleport circle um, next to you. Is Zop also going through? Can Zop like drag Radford? Like, like I know he can't pick up, pick him up. Zop but, is like, nowhere near through. tall or strong okay. enough to do that. No. Yeah. Okay. Zop will just jump through. Okay. Um, Zop jumps through it. So now it's just Radford and a single shadow creature uh, with a, a teleportation circle. Did Did Do come with me when I when yes, I took the, her the, through? Okay. Yeah. Um, you're or carrying. Did, yes. Did Do's corpse come mm. with me? All right. Yes. Cool. <laughs> uh, and so it is just Radford and this shadow creature. Um, the shadow creature looks towards Radford, drops to one knee, uh, like it's you know it's it's kind of left uh, stealth mode. You've 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 keyed into it, drops to one mm-hmm. knee and propels itself towards you, like it's going to try and prevent you from getting onto the circle of teleportation. So it's trying to not touch the ground as it leaps ridiculously far towards you. Um, it's it's mouth open in this awful guttural growl noise and both chains flung towards you their their poison spikes glistening as it attacks you it's going to roll to hit radford mutters under his breath while this is why he sees this flying towards him this injustice is mine it rolled a 15 and an 8 it misses, so I'm going to use my reaction to grab them and awesome. deflect missiles again. Awesome. You fling them both back towards the creature. 22 to hit. 22 to hit hits. Wow, what about the second one? There are two of them here. Or can oh. you only do it once? Uh, it's only once. Okay, so you fling one of them back and you just dodge the other one. Yeah. So that's really? 2d8 and 2d10. Is hit it's one one d eight and one d ten is the normal attack. Oh right, right, right. Not crit. Yep. Uh, is that's two sevens. Yes, hit harder is still active, so we'll double whatever this damage is. So fourteen to twenty four damage. Okay, twenty four damage as you hit this one, and you realize as the chain slams into it, um, the the spikes kind of you know punching through a shoulder. This is the one you had started fighting. This one is is wearied and thinned, but you still have not quite gotten it to the point of death. Um, as it races towards you its momentum suddenly arrested in midair it runs into its own chain and flips so now it's moving feet first towards you it's going to use uh its its bonus action to 
teleport. Um, it is not able to stealth itself, but it just teleports to the other end of the circle so that it doesn't go through and have to face your companions. Um, it appears like a safe enough distance away from you that you can't run there this round. Um, but still, how far the, away do you think? Uh, probably 60, 70 feet. Okay. And it's, it's laying it, on the ground, but it's like aware and active. It doesn't look winded or dazed or anything. Like it's probably going to hop up, you know, next turn. Okay. Is it Radford's turn? Yeah. He runs into the middle the of the circle. Yeah. 45 minutes or 45 feet into the, into the circle. Yeah. And uh, just breathes a 30 foot line of cold at it. Just whoosh okay. all the way out. So it needs to make a constitution saving throw. Well, that won't reach it, right? Because it, it's on the other side. It's outside the circle from you. 45 feet of movement plus a 30-foot line is oh, so over 60 feet. you're leaving the circle. You're leaving the circle. Oh, I thought... It jumped eh. over the circle at you, past you with its teleport, and is now beyond I you think, from the circle. I, saying, I think, I think what, what Wash is trying to uh, say is that he'll get as clo- like, like close to the portal without portaling yet. Will the if he does his ice breath from there, will that do it? It is seventy feet from the circle. Let's say it that way. Okay. Well, he can shoot him from seventy feet. <laughs> oh, okay. Your oh, breath oh, just no. reaches seventy feet. No, he's got forty-five feet of movement and thirty feet of breath. Okay, so yeah, he's going to away from the circle towards the creature. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's how long does does it does he know how long the circle lasts? Until Zoff dispels it. We can okay. assume Zoff yelled that. Yes. Okay. So yeah, he's gonna he's gonna run towards this guy. Okay. Um if that's the case. And he's gonna yeah, just run up, uh bonish action, step of the wind to get right up in his face just with movement. And he's gonna smack the crap out of him. <laughs> Okay. Keeping a 15-foot distance with his maul. He's prone. Roll so that's advantage. Two, at- two attacks. Uh, ooh, that's a two with a 15, so 25 to hit. And a 19, so 29 to hit. Describe the killing blow. <clears throat> um, he kind of goes... like There's a little bit of a feral look in his eyes. As uh, as he just like screams out, "This injustice is mine!" And he just like slams down with the claw, just like over. It's just like boom, 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 just like hammering it into the ground. It's it, like it starts off kind of elegant, but it starts to get like super feral and just rips the thing apart. And then he like roars and like ice breath. It's just like. Ice breath shoots up and around you little, you know, pieces of chaos manifestations just kind of appearing in the air around you as Radford, I'm assuming, then steps back into the teleportation circle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, So Radford um, appears in the teleportation circle on the other side, back in your hovel where you've been you've been holed up and you see first that everyone in your party is alive. Um, but you can see Owlin kind of knelt over the lifeless body of Dew Bumblefoot. Uh, Owlin, you want to describe the scene for us? What what Radford sees when he comes back? Al- Radford sees Owlin just like just just trying. Owlin Owlin has like 
a lot of knowledge about a lot of things, but not medical things. He's like try at first he like tried to like with it, he has large hands compared to Do Bumblefoot. He tried to like you know do what he can as far as like CPR, like what he knows of that. Nothing's happening. He even tries to cast. Um, he can cast as a Azamar feature. Um, what's the name of the the healing spell that he can do? Healing hands. Um, I assume that does nothing. You know he's he's trying everything and he just. He just is like over this body, and you can see tears coming out of his eyes, and he's just we. We have to get him back we were, to my sister. Are, are we too late? We're not. He looks up at, at Zopf. Zopf is, is are, are we too late? Um, the sister might be able to help. We we have to go. We have to we we have to go, and Alan will like scoop up. This, the the tiny body and and just like frantically just like we ha- we have we have to go we have to there ha- I can't be t- I can't be too late again I can't be too late again and Alan will like basically start going off in the direction where they came from to get back to what's Radford to the doing? other twin um Radford takes a second because he knows he's faster than Alan he can catch up that's not a problem. <laughs> Um, he takes a second and kneels down next to the the soul, the the person there, and uh, says, "I've taken care of it. Rest well." And he runs off after after Alan. And on that note, tonight's Dungeons and Dragons adventure comes to a close. Well, you and me, the end of the video, kind of awkward, kind of waiting for you to subscribe and, you know, all that. And, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to head out. <laughs>